Hello, gorgeous. Hey, you. How you doing? How you doing? I'm good. I'm you good. look cute. Thank you. So do you. Stop. You're like in a dress and you look adorable. Thank you. But see, you always look like cool. Like I'm but the for, cool. I was like, I look like, like I'm ready for combat or something. Like I should have like combat boots. Yeah. And a, yeah. It's and like what the cool kids are wearing is always you, and it's never <laughs> me. I'm always like fit and flare pinup dress. I mean, I'm not going cutest. to combat. That's the cutest. Yeah. No. Uh, this is another fucking horror podcast, by the way. By I'm Wendy Sanchez. I'm Amy Traden. Welcome. So what's been going on since I last saw you? Nothing. I'm incredibly boring. What's going on with you? <laughs> Tell me something exciting. Um, not a ton is going on, but I do have very exciting news for all of our listeners. Tell us. Grace had Henry listen to the episode. <gasps> oh my God. Okay, wait. I didn't know this and yeah. I'm kind of freaking the fuck out. <laughs> yes. Did we get his reaction, thoughts, comments? No, he was obsessed. And then <gasps> Grace was like, you have to send me screenshots of people saying that they're obsessed with Henry because he's going to get a kick out of it. Because he like literally doesn't think he's a big deal. Um, He's a total big deal. What is he talking about? So I realized that most of those were like in person or over the phone combos. But we did have a couple of screenshots that I sent over. Just like, oh my God, I'm obsessed. I'm like, yes. <gasps> Henry, there's a Henry fan club. There is a Henry fan We're club. obsessed with you. President, vice president. Boom. Right Let's fucking do this. Let's fucking do this. Grace, send us a picture of his face. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, if those end up on a shirt, like I, I, I can't be held responsible for my actions. Like, I mean. You were warned. 10,000%. I'm not upset this. about this. I'm so excited. Like when we get into the merch stage, there might Can be I a Henry. I don't, I don't oh. have a picture. I would absolutely show you. Grace, send oh, us a picture of Henry. I thought you said she did send us a picture. No, I'm like, if she does. Girl. Girl. Get it. I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is he single? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, Henry listened to the episode. I Because of Queen Grace made him. I'm so happy about that. And if he happens to listen to another one and it's this one, thank you, Henry. That's fucking rad as fuck. And I'm really yeah. blown away. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I'm like giddy now. I like, I'm like <laughs> blushing, I think. I don't know what's wrong with me. Girl, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Same. I'm totally on the same boat. It's really cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. And Grace is fantastic for doing that. Thank you, Grace. I mean, I can't even handle it. I, I can't handle anything. Yeah. Also, if you haven't checked out Dark Valley Podcast, you should check out episode seven, Sabrina, because yours truly is in it. And uh, it's very Twilight zone So if you're into that, which I'm guessing you are if you're listening to us, should give him a listen. Uh, I'm really proud of the episode. It's really cool. And most importantly, the creators are very proud of the episode because you're always like, of course. Oh, I don't know if I fucked this up, uh, no. but they're, they're very happy with it. So give it, give it a listen. And then when you're done listening to that, listen to the rest of their stuff. I'm excited. It occurred to me that I had completely lost track of days. And I literally, if you look one of the things I have open on my phone right now is Spotify <laughs> and it's open to that episode because when Monique leaves, that's what I'm going to do after this. It's all good. It's it's also when you get into this like either research hole and with you, it's research and editing, editing hole, yeah. the days just blur There's together. There's no time anymore. Yeah. No, literally no, I'll look not up and be all. like, wait, it's Sunday? What? How did this happen? Yeah. What's going on? Exactly. Yes. So it's all good. But you know, if you have a commute or an office job or something, and you, I think it's only like 30 minutes. Yeah. It's a, right a there, short yeah. episode. Um, but it's really cool. And I really enjoyed doing it. Um, I'm so looking forward to it. I'm really excited. I know it's going to be amazing because you're amazing. Thank um, you. 
And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I couldn't listen to anything besides Obsessed by Mariah Carey this week. Because so. <laughs> because I did this How myself. did we even get into that? We were talking about, um, I feel like music we had on our phone that we were slightly embarrassed about. And I was like, yeah. it's not on my phone, but I did remember that I used to be so into the song Obsessed by Mariah Carey. And then... After we recorded last week, yes. we had like a Mariah Carey dance party. Yes. And you like showed me the music video, which I guess I somehow had like missed out on. It's incredible. It's incredible. And she like pretends to be Eminem in it. It's, it's amazing. Just, I didn't realize any of this or any of the backstory or anything. And for three whole days, that song played nonstop in my head. And embrace it, girl. The second I got it out, I like was like, this is great. This is nice. I'm like so relieved. I was still editing at the time and we said obsessed on the edit and it immediately, like I immediately fell right back into it. I was like, I mean, it's like, why are you so obsessed with me? Oh my God. So, uh, uh. Oh, it's so good. That being said, it's, it's so an amazing good. song. I, yeah. And I'm obsessed with it, clearly. Uh, no, I was absolutely in the same boat, uh, but it was, it was a rotation of obsessed Shake it, it off, off and we belong together. I mean, that's a great rotation. That's really yeah. all you need. It's like just enough so you don't get bored with one song. For but sure. It's like all the fucking, it's all the hits, all the best ones. Yeah. And I, I, because I'm, I'm a bit older, I'm still like the music video. Like I remember the music video. So I'm like, let's revisit this shit. Oh my gosh. So yeah. in how <laughs> she's in the, uh, we belong together video. It's, she's marrying someone that she doesn't want to get married to because she's in love with someone else. It's like okay. the premise. Yes. So the person that she's marrying is like Eric Roberts. What? Very randomly. And the dude Chris Tucker was in the fucking Shake It Off video. And I was like, I'm sorry, is this Chris Tucker? What the fuck is happening right now? And in and the guy that she's like in love with and we belong together is the main dude in prison break. Oh my god. I know who you're talking about. I don't know his name. I don't know yes. his name either because I'm a trash person. And like if you look at all of That's the comments. So it's like is that the dude from prison break yeah. it's not even that it's like oh so this is what happened before prison break or this <laughs> like, is what happened like right after prison break the prequel to, yeah oh my gosh that's really funny no i feel really bad for my neighbors because they listen to those three mariah carey songs like <laughs> for a stop. week ah, i regret it's nothing fine. though it's fine i mean like why are you so obsessed with me oh, oh it's so good it's so good it's so good and then because because i've done some film and tv stuff then when I watch the music videos, then I start like analyzing things like what was the casting notice for the guy who plays the director? Because the the obsessed video is very meta where she's like yes. filming a music video in the music video. And like the Eminem character has instead of like a wind fan of fucking hair dryer, dryer yes. that's like blowing it's to make her hair look like luscious and you know and, yeah. windblown and whatever and you have the guy who plays the director in the scene and he's like directing her he's very like european and older and, <laughs> and so it so <laughs> i'm like five. what was the casting notice for this is this a union job what did they get paid like this is like what's running through my head it's not what's running through my head of course not it's not your world and that's fine <laughs> but so there's so many layers of things that are happening like i can't watch a commercial without being like 
like there were these like Applebee's or Chili's commercials where the hostess would be like, welcome to Chili's. And it was a walk and talk of like, oh, you know, jalapeno poppers or whatever. Yeah. And I'd be like, okay, that was a principal rate. <laughs> um, I like, I'm assuming it was a day. Like if it was on a weekend that she got double rate, which is great. Like how long did this take? Did they actually like close down to Chili's? Like what time oh was this? Oh like, this is Well, no, because they have to fucking <laughs> they, film there. Yeah, no, no. So I'm like, know, are they filming this at three in the morning when Chili's is not operating? Did they actually buy out the Chili's? Like this is what's oh. running through my head every time I watch anything. This is ridiculous. The whole time I was watching uh, the Obsessive video, all I was thinking was Mariah Carey is like, a hot dude. A hot dude. Like, yeah. kind of weirdly attractive. And I, like, don't know how I feel about this. And I'm confused. Yeah. I, the the eyebrows were a little much. But otherwise, I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah. into that. I actually think until you pointed it out, it took me a second. I was like, this person looks familiar. And yet, I somehow can't place them. It's like, that's right. That's Yep. Yep. And also, uh, I guess in true crime news, Scott Peterson is off of death row. Is he really? Yeah, that How got... How the fuck did that happen? That got turned over. Wow. Overturned. That's the right... It's not an apple turnover. It got overturned. <laughs> that sounds delicious, though. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> right? God. Um, uh, that's horrible, and... Yeah. Fuck. You know, I'm going to make a, a possibly controversial statement here. I mean, what's new? Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> exactly. I know, right? You've met us, right? Girl. <laughs> I think he's guilty... I don't think he did it the way that the prosecution said he did it. It does not. The the facts don't line up with the story that they posited. Okay. That doesn't mean I think he's innocent. I don't think that it happened the way they presented it. Okay. It It just didn't go down like that. Yeah. Because just the, the, the facts of the case didn't line up with their story. It's been a while since I really like went over it or went through the details or anything. So I don't really remember like what didn't add up necessarily, but a lot of things didn't. And then things weren't like admissible in court that showed that it didn't add up because of like technicalities and whatever. And like prejudicial, like there was a whole thing. So they posited that like he killed her. And then because he'd gone to like, he'd gone fishing that morning, yeah. that he put her body in the boat and then like dumped it and like put anchors on her. And like, that's how she's found because she was found in the lake or whatever, in the, the body of water in that area yeah. from where he was fishing. Fine. Great. And the thing is that even though she was small, she was like eight months pregnant. So she weighed like about 150 pounds. Yeah. And they did like field tests of getting like the same type of boat, which was like, basically like a fucking dinghy it's a very small boat yeah. that just has like a motor on it it's you, like you you've seen it like that yeah, yeah it, i know exactly it's not like a fucking yacht no. it's it's a like basically like two people max in this boat yeah so they did so the the defense did this field study where they got like a, a dummy that weighed 100 pounds and, okay. and tried to dump it and it was impossible to dump it without tipping over the boat Oh, and it was weighed much less than she would have weighed. Than she okay. would have weighed. And the thing is, there's also currents, and she could have been dumped somewhere else. And then, blah, blah, blah. like, I don't think he's not guilty. I just don't think that it. And for whatever reason, like that, they couldn't. Uh, that was inadmissible in court. They said that 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 field study they couldn't admit it in court. Okay. So the jury never saw that. Weird. I don't know. There's. I'm not a lawyer, obviously. Um, but there's lots of like technicalities, like what's admissible, what's not. And for yeah. whatever reason that I'm not remembering currently, that wasn't admitted in court. So the jury didn't see that. So I just think that, I think he's guilty, but I don't think it's the way they've said that he did it. But he's off death row. 
But he's still in jail. He's not up for parole. He is not getting out. He is just currently, what is he serving life in prison now? I believe it's life in prison. Okay. I'm not positive on that. Uh, But I know he's been removed from death row, which he's been on for like 13 years. Okay. He's been on for fucking ever. Uh, And her family's devastated, of course. Yeah. um, Because they feel like justice hasn't been done, which... (sighs) It's a position I don't envy and I hope to never be in. Yes. Like, it's very... It's very true. Tough. You're right. That's incredibly difficult. I don't know how I would ever handle that situation. Yeah. So that's happening. And then the and then the government Fun. keeps releasing UFO shit, which is kind of cool. That's that's cool. Yeah. I'm here for that. I am not here for the, the horrible people getting right. either lighter sentences or off their sentences. Another one of those, Colin Pitchfork, who was the first person in the UK to be convicted based on DNA evidence, is now up for parole. No shit. After serving 33 years in prison for raping and murdering two 15-year-old girls. Oh, who gives a fuck? So... They were just 15-year-old girls. Of course. After the first one, he put his baby down for a nap when he did the first one and then, like, went and got the baby and, like, brought the baby back home or whatever and literally, like, did that in the middle of raping and killing this 15-year-old girl. It's absolutely horrible. And he's now... He's, yeah, literally up for parole. He wasn't supposed to be up for parole. I mean... If you guys could have seen the eyes bugging out of my head yep. when Amy was saying the story, I just cannot. <sighs> yeah, it's ridiculous. So not a not a great week for a true crime. No sentencing there. No, definitely not. No. Um, you know, if we want to find that silver lining, we'll never be out of business. That's very true. <laughs> because that is very true. Fuck. Yeah. Just like stop murdering people. <laughs> They're not going to do it, Monique. They're not going to. Nope. They love it too much. It's fucking crazy. Nope. Do you want to? Take my mind off of this brutal true crime with a little bit of a spooky mystery. Yeah, I sure do. Fuck yeah. I'm going to talk about twin telepathy. (gasps) That was such a good topic that I never thought to do that I'm actually like a little jealous about because that's, (laughs) that's right up my fucking alley and it's so brilliant and it just never occurred to me that I could do twin telepathy. Ugh. I fucking lay it on me. I definitely move certain topics up because I'm like, I feel like Amy's going to beat me to this topic. (laughs) And I've already like half researched it and I can't let her be. So this was one of those. So (laughs) the fact that you're like, it didn't occur to me, girl. What kills me is we, we both do this too, where we have like this kind of like weird rivalry that we like don't really ever acknowledge (laughs) or talk about. We're like, I have to do this before she gets to it. It's too good. Like I can't let her have this story. And it's like, it's not even that, honestly. It's literally laziness. I'm like, I've already half researched. I've started <laughs> writing things in a Word document. Abandon. Yeah. And I don't want to start from scratch, even though I've, I have at least five stories that are half completed. Really? That I have like, mid- and then abandoned it midway because I clicked something adjacent oh. to the, the article yep, and then went goes. down a website, you know, went down a fucking rabbit hole. And I'm like, well, I'm doing this story now. So it's not even competitiveness. It's, I don't want to look for another story. Yeah, and I don't want this work to go to waste that I've obviously exactly. like already put effort into. That's why I don't write, like, I don't have, like, three stories, like, ready to go, like, written up in advance. Because I know one day you're going to come in and be like, so here's the story. I'm like, fuck, that's what I was doing next, next. week. And it's all <laughs> written up. Scrap this. Bullshit. So it's not even a rivalry. I'm obsessed with you. Um, I just am lazy. I don't <laughs> want to do double work. <laughs> that's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> So let's get into our sources. LiveScience.com, LiveAbout. I don't know if it's LiveAbout or LiveAbout. I don't know. I don't know. Potato, potato. Exactly. Uh, So I'm going to say LiveAbout.com, AllThat'sInteresting.com, 
an article on psu.edu, which is Penn State University, verywellfamily.com, ranker.com, and tried and true favorite, wikipedia.com. The Farlex Partner Medical Dictionary defines telepathy as the transmittal and reception of thoughts by means other than through the normal senses as a form of extrasensory perception. Also, I feel like a total dunce because I didn't realize that ESP is extrasensory perception. I had no idea. Yeah. Like, I logically understand that's what it like is. Yeah. But I wasn't breaking all the words down. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I'm fucking dumb. No. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Especially like you barely ever hear it all set out and not the acronym. So I kind of get it. Like you just grow up like knowing it's CSP. Like, yeah. Yeah. And there's another thing that I'm going to say very shortly that I was like, yeah, I didn't realize that's actually what that is. So I definitely had lots of kikis with myself. <laughs> in this I love it. There you go. All right. Twins have fascinated the world for millennia. About one in every 30 babies born in the United States is a twin. And identical twins are especially fascinating because they have the same genes and tend to be alike in many ways. While brothers and sisters can be close, one of the mysteries associated with twins is the idea that they share a special connection beyond that of ordinary siblings. Some people believe that this unique relationship is endowed with extraordinary, seemingly telepathic qualities in which one twin seems to know what the other is thinking or feeling. And before we get into what twin telepathy might be, let's just have a little mini refresher on the two different types of twins. So identical or monozygotic twins are produced by a single egg that has been fertilized and then divides into two eggs that contain the same genetic material. Fraternal or dizotic twins are formed by two separate eggs. Fraternal twins are basically the same as regular siblings, except they share the same birthday. I also didn't really realize that. Okay. Well, because like, yeah, they're yeah. different eggs. Like it's... Yeah. Yeah. They and can it, actually technically be fertilized by two um, exactly. different fathers. So it could be two... Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But I never really phrased it like that. Yeah. Right. I didn't yes. phrase it in a, in a way that was so simple that you're like, oh, oh yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Hmm. Now that I'm thinking about it, sure. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. That makes very logical sense. Exactly. No idea. I'm learning lots today. I love it. (laughs) Telepathy has been noted to occur more in identical twins, with as many as one in five sets of identical twins claiming to share some sort of special psychic connection with their counterpart, though it has been shown to occur in fraternal twins as well. It is important to note that most of the evidence of twin telepathy is not scientific, but anecdotal. Yep. But we will get into the sign stuff later. I promise. We always do the sign stuff. Yay! And the telepathy has been known to show up in different ways. One of which is sensing when the other one is in trouble. One day in March 2009, 15-year-old Gemma Houghton was suddenly struck with a strong feeling that her twin sister, Leanne, was in trouble and to check in on her. Gemma hurried upstairs to the bathroom where she knew Leanne was taking a bath and found her sister submerged unconscious, and turning blue. Leanne, who is epileptic, had suffered a seizure in the tub. Gemma pulled her sister from the tub, administered CPR, and revived her, saving her life. Damn. Gemma later told reporters, quote, I got this sudden feeling to check on her. It was like a voice telling me, your sister needs you, end quote. Holy shit. 
Had Gemma not been compelled by that feeling to check in on her sister, Leanne almost certainly would have drowned. Yeah, fuck. While the Houghton sisters happen to be fraternal twins, their mother said that they are, quote, inseparable and share an uncanny bond, end quote. A survey conducted by Dr. Lynn Shekras, a genetic analyst at the Department of Twin Research at King's College London, showed that one in five identical twins said that they have experienced some form of telepathy, and one in ten fraternal twins reported the phenomenon. There has been the argument made that the case may not be as inexplicable as it first appears. Leanne was a known epileptic who had suffered many similar fits in the past, and the rest of the family, including her sister, had been warned to keep a watchful eye on her. Knowing that Leanne had a tendency to have seizures that could render her unconscious, and knowing that being alone in water, such as the bathtub or pool, could be dangerous for her, the argument to play devil's advocate is that it's not unreasonable to think that Gemma might have become concerned when after a few minutes she heard no activity, such as splashing in the water from the upstairs bathroom where Leanne was bathing alone, and that it's likely that any other non-twin member of the family who was at home at the time would have reacted the same way regardless of ESP or telepathy. But I call bullshit, because who can hear someone taking a bath a floor above them unless they're taking some like loud-ass fucking bath? Mm, splish and splashing up there? Is, is she 15 splishing and splashing? I, no, I don't know. I kind of just chilled in there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when you're older than seven, you're just like, chill the fuck out in the bath. Yeah. You're not like, the ducky goes down <laughs> with the Titanic. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm calling bullshit on this. They're 15 years old. She's taking a bath. Other than being epileptic, I don't know anything of her being like, took like really rowdy baths or whatever. Yeah. I mean, my parents' house is a, is a multi-floor house. And like, if something was happening, like I can hear the water being run. But, like, if my dad was drowning in there, I wouldn't be able to fucking hear it from downstairs. Yeah. My only thought is maybe there was suddenly a lot of splashing from her having a seizure. And Mm -hmm. then suddenly it was silent and that Mm -hmm. triggered her somehow? Maybe. Maybe? I'm just, I'm presenting the... the Yes. Both sides. Okay. I think it's bullshit. I also acknowledge that it's very possible. All of those things that maybe she was a very splish splash, I was taking a bath, bath gal. (laughs) Yeah. Knows, yeah. Who knows? That is not how I take a bath. I'm just like, great. I get to soak in my own filth for the next 40 minutes mm, yeah. and listen to like Interpol. Amazing. Yeah. There you go. Um, maybe Leanne is not is not one of us, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm just happy that she's still with us because her sister fucking saved her. Yeah. Gemma, you fucking nailed it. There is a twin telepathy subreddit that I pulled some <gasps> stories from. And oh, while shit. I know there's no way to verify these stories because Reddit basically works off of the honor system. I did find several of them really fascinating. Ooh, tell me. One Redditor wrote, quote, Twin here. In high school, I was out four-wheeling with a friend when my twin was about 50 miles away from me at work. While screwing around that day, I flipped my buddy's truck. So being in the middle of nowhere with no cell service, we figured out a plan to get help. A few hours later, after we made it back home, I saw I had a missed call from my twin. I gave him a ring to tell him this crazy story about wrecking a truck. He answered in a panic, asking me if I was okay and what happened. Slightly caught off guard, I asked, what do you mean? He said he was working, and at the exact time I flipped this truck into a ditch, he was hit with this wave of something going terribly wrong. (gasps) 
He knew it involved me, but he didn't know what had happened. After the phone call, I looked at my phone and realized his call came in one minute after I had crashed the truck. Throughout our lives, there have been other instances of this, end quote. Chill. Right? Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm obsessed. Another submission reads, quote, when we were seven, I stayed home from school sick and my twin went to school. Right around 3.30, I got this intense feeling of dread and basically had a panic attack trying to convince my parents something was wrong with my sister and we needed to go get her. They agreed to call the school, but basically just to get me to calm down. Turns out she missed her bus and was wandering around outside the school, couldn't figure out how to get back in and was totally (gasps) panicking. End quote. Holy shit. Right? Ugh. I'm obsessed with like all I'm of these obs- No, I'm totally, I'm totally here for this. I obviously expressed, uh, I was questioning the tub. Sure. But I still totally am on board for this. And I actually think it's highly likely. Oh, same. Yeah. And like, it's fair and important to have all the sides, you know, to yes. have the skeptical side and the I'm whole, whole hog buying into this yes. thing. That was the argument. Without more information, I call bullshit, but it is possible, as we said, that she could be a big yes. splasher or whatever. <laughs> Then there's telepathy that causes physical reactions. Oh, shit. Much of the information we have about twin telepathy comes from the spontaneous experiences reported by the twins themselves. Some reports reveal that a twin can physically respond to a change or trauma that occurred in their twin. In one anecdote, a man in Texas was forced to sit down due to a stabbing pain in his chest. He later learned that his twin brother in New York was having a heart attack at the same time. What? That's crazy. Girl. Similarly, a young girl had an accident on her bicycle and broke her ankle, and her twin sister developed swelling in the same uninjured ankle. That's really crazy. That's crazy. That's, like, crazy. Yeah. There was to have a symptom like that where it's not just pain, which obviously your brain can manifest sure. from nothing, basically. But to have actual, like, swelling from an injury that you don't have. Yeah. One of the Reddit submissions reads, quote, When my sister and I were two, she got a finger stuck in the door and part of it was ripped out. (gasps) Fuck. Oh my god, that happened to my fucking (gasps) grandmother. (gasps) Yeah, she was literally missing the tip of her finger. Oh my god. Yep. Mm. Matthew Perry, also. Really? If you look, he's he's missing the top of his, I think his ring finger. No, his middle finger. He's oh missing my god, the always the thought of it has gotten me. I can't. Yeah, I mean, Oof. yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Mm. My parents took her to the hospital while my aunt and uncle watched me at home. Apparently, I was playing calmly and at a certain point started shouting, crying, and shaking. My aunt and uncle were so panicked, nothing seemed to appease me. My uncle even had to hold me in his arms because I was shaking hysterically. I eventually became calm again as if nothing happened. When my parents came home, they were in disbelief. At the same time I had my crisis, my sister went into the operating room to get stitches. My parents and the doctor were shocked. She didn't even flinch, cry, or do whatever a two-year-old would normally do when having a finger stitched up without anesthesia. She even laughed and sang while waiting in the emergency room. What? My parents and aunt uncle still believe to this day that somehow I felt the pain for my sister, that it was somehow transferred. Weird, end quote. For sure. Yeah. She was like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, here, that's, you can have all of that. Enjoy that. Yeah. And yeah. I 
I think I was a, a touch younger than this when I split my chin open and had to get <gasps> my stitches to Oof. yeah 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 and it was I mean it's a it's a whole long yeah. story but uh did you have anesthesia too or no no, no oh no, no, my no. god Oof. yeah because I don't think they unless it's like a full-on surgery they don't give it to a baby yeah oh I didn't know if they like do they like local anesthesia though like I, numb you I don't know. I also, like, the, so the reality is because it's a baby, they basically, like, strap you into the, the table so you won't move around. Oh, and, and you have the like lights on you. Yeah. So oh at minimum, you're freaking out because of that. Even yeah. if it's not pain, you're just like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, I'm being held down against my will, basically. And totally. with bright lights shining in my eyes. Like, totally. this is not cool. I'll actually give this, this story really quick because this is a very, like, this is my family dynamic story. Oh, God, okay. So... I was bathing with my brother. My mom took my older brother out. I was standing up. And when she like, this kids are crazy. Like literally it's a second. Yeah. She took my brother out of the tub. When she went to go get me, I had slipped and the my chin Oof. hit the side of the tub. And like, it was like, Fuck. and like head wounds are very like lots bleed, of yeah, just blood everywhere. Said, yeah. So I bleed everywhere. She's my, and my parents don't handle any sort of She's stress. Well, out. She's freaking the fuck yeah. out. They rushed me to the emergency room. Uh, both of my parents do. And the doctor's like, okay, we can only have one parent in here. So my dad's like, I'll do it. And my mom's like, yeah, because he's the one who carried her for nine months. <laughs> right? And, Way to just like jump in and volunteer. Like, <laughs> Also because like of the two, my dad is the least, his, the less hysterical. hysterical. Yeah. So that seemed like a smart choice, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom's in the like... My mom's, not, it's not even the waiting room. She's like right outside of the doors to get into the operating rooms. Okay. I don't know what the fuck that is, but she's there and there's this nurse who's like, I'll give you updates on your daughter. And she like fucks off and, you know, does her rounds or whatever the fuck. And my mom is hearing me screaming for my fucking life down the hall yeah. and she's oh, sobbing God, and there's yeah. this American couple that's sitting next to her and the nurse keeps coming by my mom and just like smiling at her and kind of like laughing and not giving an update and my mom you know we're Cuban and I don't want to use a stereotype but it's fucking true like she doesn't need to be riled up any more than she like her baseline is you know oh I mean? yeah she's already at an 11 so this fucking older yeah. American couple is like this is bullshit that's your <gasps> daughter you should be in there Oh, no. Don't encourage her. Oh. Don't give her fuel for the flames. Yeah. Exactly. No. So my mom's like, you're goddamn fucking right. right. <laughs> no, no. So she's like, how the fuck do I get into the operating room? <gasps> so she's seeing that, like, all the doctors, like, push the button that opens the doors. No. Oh, this... she's like, I'll just push this button. Fuck and she's you. like, so she, like, sees the coast is clear, like, boom, pushes the button, like, starts running, like, looking in the opera, like, which operating room I'm in. And she runs in like a crazy person. That's insane. I can't. And the doctor's like, what in the actual fuck? Get and the she's fuck like, out of here. no, I'm not getting out of here. That's my fucking daughter. So like, call the cops. Like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not leaving. And he's like, Damn. okay, fine. Mama bear, all right. She mama bared super hard. Yeah. So he's like, fine. You could stand all the way in the corner because if you like pass out because of the blood, we don't want you passing out on top of her. Okay. So fine. They stitched me up. Great. Magic. Fantastic. At the end of it, my mom comes across the nurse who, like, kept coming by. Because it was, like, multiple times she would come by and just, yeah. like, look at my mom and not give her an update. When, like, my mom was hearing me screaming, like, yeah. crazy. Instead of just being like, everything's fine. I know it sounds crazy. Like, everything's fine, though. I'm sure I'm checking on her. Everything's fine. Right. That didn't happen at That's all. That's all I'm saying. Like, you're not even giving any information. Like, just, it's fine. I know. I know. She's in the best of yes. care. She, he's a great doctor. Say whatever the fuck you need to say. Yes. She didn't do any of this. And she kept coming 
across my mom and would just look at her and kind of like smile. And my mom was like, fuck you. Yeah. So at the end of all this, Maria Elena encounters the nurse oh on the way God, out. This poor woman. And she's like, I just want you to know that you're a bitch. <gasps> and I hope you never have children. <gasps> Damn. Don't fuck with Maria Elena's That's kids. savage. She's savage. Like, don't fuck with her family. Seriously. She's very loyal to her family. So... <laughs> That's fucking wild, dude. (laughs) That's fucking wild. I I relate to the story a little bit with the whole, like, they strap you down thing. When I got my wisdom teeth out, obviously they knock you out for that. I came to a little too soon. Oh, no. Like, right before they were finished. So they were, like, literally stitching me up (gasps) in my mouth when I came to. And because I was, like, conscious and I knew what was going on, I was, like, trying to push them away, like, push them out of my mouth. And in response, they strapped a you nurse down. held, held you down. me down and said, it's fine. He's almost done. And then proceeded to literally just hold my arms against the armrest of the chair while this man finished stitching up my mouth. Even though I was like, no, no, like I'm awake. I don't want this. And then was like trying to push them away. And they were just like, nope. And just like traumatized for the rest of my life. And oh I my was God. an adult and I found that shit traumatizing. Like I can't even imagine how traumatizing this was as a child. Oh my God. Like, no. Oh my God. So going back to my story after like 10 minutes of tangent. (laughs) I liked it. It was a good tangent. Yeah, I think so. Turnip701 on Reddit wrote, quote, identical twin here. When my brother and I were infants, my dad took me to work with him out of state from my house about 55 miles away. My brother stayed home with my mom. While he was sitting on my mom's lap watching Sesame Street, he grabbed his head and started wailing. My mom couldn't console him and finally decided to call my dad. When he answered, she just asked, what happened to Turnip 701? My dad replied, he fell off the counter and hit his head, but he's okay. How did you know something happened? (gasps) She said, because my brother was holding his head and wouldn't stop crying. Nothing like that ever happened again, though. We also have been told we had our own language. I always love that. With one another before we could talk. Oh, end quote i mean it's like my favorite i love it so it always much. makes me think of nell it's so really <laughs> tays in the wind tays in the wind <laughs> also if you haven't seen nell with jodie foster like go watch nell what's Girl. wrong with you i mean it's my favorite burn ever when someone does something like completely like why would you do that it's like yeah. are you nell from the movie <laughs> nell <laughs> Which isn't even my burn. I stole it from Parks and Rec. It's so good, though. <laughs> it's great. It's and it's a very niche joke it from is, a movie that's have like to, yeah. 30 years old <laughs> that no one saw. But that's... I saw it. You did, <laughs> of <girl>. course. <laughs> but that's just my wheelhouse. It's like... It, and it's not even to be like a hipster. But like, it's just... I just live in obscurity. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's very factual. In the best way, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you guys are listening, so I guess you're into this bullshit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You watch The Saint, you know. Girl, oh my god. (gasps) Don't even get me fucking started. We don't have two hours to dedicate to The Saint. We need to do like a special episode just of The Saint, I think. We need to do a viewing party of The Saint. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. We'll let you know when that's happening. Because it's gonna fucking happen. Damn straight. Another submission reads, quote, I'm a complete scientific skeptic and aware there is nothing supernatural about this, but it's still very odd. Around the time, the same hour that my twin sister passed, I fainted for the first time in my life. I was not aware she had died. (gasps) It was an aortic aneurysm, totally out of the blue. She was 23 and healthy. (gasps) Holy fuck. 
I was at work and just collapsed to the floor with no warning and was unconscious for around five seconds. I got the call to go to the hospital as she had been taken in. She had already passed at home, though. Worst day of my life. I actually hate telling people this because of the supernatural connotations, but there you have it. It was just an odd coincidence, and I don't have any thoughts otherwise. I even asked a doctor about it, but I'm not sure he actually believed me. End quote. I mean... I mean, yeah. I don't believe in coincidence, personally. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And technically, I have heard similar stories about this yeah. with people who were not twins. It were like mother and daughter or just siblings, I guess, which paternal twins technically are, as we right. established. So it's one of those things like, I don't actually find it that, that unbelievable. So I'm glad you brought that up. Because on that subject... <gasps> Look at that transition right there. Right? We didn't even plan I this know. shit. That's how much we're on the same page all the time. I'm doing a little dance about it. It's super cute. I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm certain you're the only person who would think that. It's It's ridiculous is what it is. I'm here for it. In 2014, identical twins, Helen May Cook and Clara May Mitchell, aged 83, died within a day of each other. One died suddenly of a heart attack, and then the other followed after a long struggle with Alzheimer's disease. When twins die at the same time, it can give the appearance of some sort of supernatural or psychic connection linking not only their mental states, but physical health. However, again, this is the devil's advocate portion. (laughs) Obligatory devil's advocate portion. Obligatory devil's advocate portion. Yes. I hate this. I I hate the devil's advocate portion. I know, but you gotta do it. I gotta do it. I'm like, fine. You wanna give me facts? Fine. Fine. Just let me have this. Obligatory devil's advocate portion. Given their advanced ages, their coincidental deaths are inherently more likely. It's far more common to hear of 83-year-old twins dying at the same time than, for example, 23-year-old twins. Yeah, because you would assume there's been an accident or something. Yeah. Right, exactly. aneurysm. Yeah. Right, that identical twins might die at the same stage of life at higher rates than non-twins is to be expected since genetics plays a role in many life-threatening illnesses, including heart disease. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, yeah. for sure. All right. Which is another uh, another non-psychic explanation for the timing of twin deaths is stress. The death of a close family member is one of the most stressful events in a person's life, and the shock and stress of losing such an intimate sibling could trigger a potentially fatal heart attack in the remaining twin. It has been proven that dying of a broken heart is absolutely a fucking thing. Yeah, it can happen, So for sure. there's also that. Yeah. And as remarkable as this story is, it is the exception and not the rule. The reason it made the news and became noticed is precisely because of its rarity and extraordinary coincidence. The deaths of twins who die months, years, or decades apart are much more common and therefore generally not newsworthy. Yes. Statistics. So, Obligatory, what the fuck is it called? Devil's advocate. Obligatory devil's advocate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even processing it because I I am rejecting this. I refuse to acknowledge this. (laughs) It's bullshit. I mean, I'll acknowledge it with some of it, but we'll get to it. (laughs) I'm waiting until we get to the Mandela portion of this fucking (laughs) story. Mandela. Um... That's a Henry Zabrowski. It's in last oh podcast they did God. a Mandela series and he yeah. changed Panama. To oh yeah, Mandela. Mandela. I did watch that episode. Or I did watch that episode. That's so fucking funny. You're right. So now I can't. Damn it! Now that's gonna be my head of week. Tony, <laughs> move over, Mariah. 
Oh, I love it. That's amazing. So telepathy can also show up as mind reading. Oh, okay. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. In the first Reddit story that I have here for the section reads, quote, history class, 10th grade. The teacher stopped the class and said, we're going to prove twin telepathy doesn't exist. <gasps> I'm obsessed with it. Chills already. I yeah. know. Twin two, turn to the wall and write down a word. And twin one, me, had to guess it. If twin one gets the word right, I will bring in food for the class. The word I guessed was mustard. The word my twin wrote was mustard. And the donuts we got were delicious. Fuck yes. I love it. I love that. I love it. In another story, the author writes, quote, During Woodshop, my twin thought, I wish I had that sandpaper. I thought he had said this out loud and handed the sandpaper to him without saying anything. No one around us heard him say he wanted sandpaper. And it's still one of our greatest moments. I quote. love that. I do, too. Now I want a twin. <laughs> Stupid only childness. It's bullshit. I don't know. I have siblings and there's pros and cons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that being said, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. I mean, I love my brothers, but you know, if you have a sibling, you know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. There's a lot of like them terrorizing you. Yeah, I was like, I heard a lot of horror stories growing up from both my parents who had siblings and I was like, you know what? I'm weirdly okay with this. I have to spend a lot of time on my own and I have to play a lot of games by myself, but... I'm okay with that. I You're also that. not an extrovert, so it's fine. Oh my god! Like if no. you were an extrovert and a single child, I, that... I was also the most painfully shy child. Like I literally would not go play with kids unless my mom was like, "Hi, this is Amy. Can you can she play with you?" I was like that a lot. Oh yeah, I would literally I just really I would just chill with my mom the whole time. I'd be like, "No, I'm fine. Yeah. I don't want to play with them." I mean, them. Diana's pretty Ted. So She's awesome. I get it. I really need her in my life. It's fine. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Author and researcher Guy Lyon Playfair. What a name. What a fucking name. Hello. Okay. I think it should be like Lord Guy yes! Lyon Playfair like, Esquire yeah. the Fourth. <laughs> I was like, he needs some extra titles there or something. Yeah, I the three like. names are not enough. No, no. Yeah. Conducted informal experiments of his own to test the psychic connection between twins. For a television show in 2003, Playfair set up a test for twins Richard and Damien Powell's Richard was placed in a soundproof booth with a bucket of ice water while Damien was some distance away in another studio hooked up to a polygraph. When Richard plunged his hand into the ice water and let out a gasp, there was an obvious blip on Damien's polygraph that <gasps> measured his respiration as if he too let out a gasp. Full body okay that's crazy because now we're getting into the the science we can right yes, right we have right. data we can replicate this like right right okay, right this is not just anecdotal anymore this is correct science in a similar experiment before a live tv audience in 1997 twin teenagers elaine and evelyn dove were likewise separated elaine was in the soundproof booth with a pyramid-shaped box while evelyn was sequestered in another room with the polygraph. When Elaine was sitting relaxed, suddenly the box exploded in a harmless <gasps> but shocking okay. pop of sparks and flashes and colored smoke. Okay. So it was just like a little, oh, like a little box. Like, yeah, like yeah. a confetti box, like a little prank. Evelyn's polygraph recorded her psychic reaction at the same moment, with one of the needles running right off the edge of the paper. What? I'm so obsessed with this. This is wild. I had never heard of this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Me neither. Yeah. Research. 
It's embarrassing, but you'll find. I know. Now, Playfair, again, what the fuck is the name of the thing that I refuse to acknowledge? Obligatory, obligatory devil's advocate. Obli- Playfair is himself playing obligatory devil's advocate. Okay. And he's quick to admit that while these experiments were not conducted with the strictest of scientific protocols, it is difficult to explain their outcomes. Okay. That was a tactful way of putting that. Correct. Yes. Well played, sir. Yes, sir. Lord. Sir Lord. Lord Mountbatten. Playfair. Yes. Marquis Esquire. <laughs> the fourth. The fourth. <laughs> Playfair explained that the reason he used cold water and the element of surprise in his experiments Rather than having the twins try to communicate something like the number or suit of a specific playing card was because he believed the physical and emotional response could be the key to triggering the telepathy and making it work. That makes sense. That it's like almost... It's almost like a strong emotion-based thing. Yeah. Like you don't have that sort of like energy or catalyst behind it that it's not just like, oh, I can think something and they think it or they're... Right. That's that's what he's, he's positing. Okay. I can... Playfair said, quote, telepathy tends to work best when it is needed and when sender and receiver are strongly bonded, as with mothers and babies, dogs and their owners, and those with the strongest bond of all, twins, end quote. Which, I'm on board with all that. I am, and I really like the dogs and the owners one, because I didn't even think about that aspect when we were talking about it. It's totally true. Yeah. Or Manson and his family. Oh my god! <laughs> if you guys... <laughs> so ridiculous. If you guys have not seen... The skit from the Ben Stiller show from like the early to mid nineties. Just Google Bob. Charles Manson Ben Stiller show and it'll come up. It's Bob Odenkirk as Charles Manson, and basically they recreate Lassie, but instead of a dog, it's Charles Manson, and it's fucking hilarious. And it's him saying like crazy Charles Manson shit of like you know you don't know Jack and you, whatever the crazy Manson shit that he'd say, and they'd be like, "What? Timmy's in a well." <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. It's really good. And his Manson, uh, like, mannerisms are, great. are spot on. They're great. Spot um, on. It's Janine Garofalo, Andy Dick. Oh, my God, I know. It's it's the, like, Gen X, like, Dream royalty. Team, yeah. Dream team, yeah, for sure. Yeah. In another study conducted by Robert Summer, Humphrey Osmond, and Lucille Pansier, they hooked up pairs of twins to a polygraph and interviewed them to determine if they had ever experienced twin telepathy. At the end of the study... 12 out of 34 people said that they could communicate telepathically. So from what I understand, this was just like a lie detector to be like, do, do you, you believe, believe that this? you can do this? Okay. And 12 out of the 34 said yes. Okay. And it passed. So they believe it. Okay. And then there's just weird coincidences. One submission reads, quote, my twin sister and I went to different colleges in different states. Sophomore year, we picked out and mailed the exact same birthday card to our dad. He thought we planned it, but we just have the same taste. We also have independently bought a lot of the same clothes and jewelry. End quote. But again, you can chalk it up to coincidence and like sure. you grew up together and you have similar tastes and okay. Right. Right. And are these... Easier to dismiss. Sure. Right. Exactly. Are these cases of two people who share very similar genetics simply coincidentally making similar choices or is there truly a psychic connection that transcends distance? Twins often finish each other's sentences and think the same thoughts, but that has more to do with shared experiences than any psychic telepathy. This sort of psychological connection isn't necessarily mysterious. 
any two people who know each other very well and who have shared many common experiences, including non-twin siblings, old married couples, and even best friends may complete each other's sentences and laugh at inside jokes that leave outsiders baffled. Which, fair. Totally. Most scientists are naturally skeptical of such anecdotes as evidence of telepathic communication. Dr. Nancy Segal, professor of psychology and director of the Twin Studies Center at California State University and all-around wet blanket, said, quote, We do hear of things like this happening between identical twins more often than fraternal, but it isn't telepathy. They're merely coincidences that occur when two people are so much alike in the first place. It's nature and nurture, same hereditary, same environment, identical twins come from the same egg, and they tend to have the same general thought patterns, intelligence levels, likes, and dislikes, end quote. Susan Blackmore investigated the claims of twin telepathy in a 1993 study. In an experiment with six sets of twins, one subject would act as the sender and the other the receiver. The sender was given selected objects, photographs, or numbers, and would attempt to psychically send the information to the receiver. The results from the experiment were negative, with no evidence of telepathy being observed. But again, if we're going to go off of Playfair, he's like, yeah, because there's no like stakes in this. Yeah. Which I agree, obviously. (laughs) So I'm buying into this. Equally skeptical investigator Benjamin Radford noted that, quote, despite decades of research trying to prove telepathy, there is no credible scientific evidence that psychic powers exist, either in the general population or among twins specifically. The idea that two people who shared their mother's womb or even who share the same DNA have a mysterious mental connection is an intriguing one not born out of science, end quote. Womp, womp. Womp, womp. That was a wet blanket answer. I didn't like that. Yeah, there's a few more. Yeah, well. I'm I'm doing... I'm never going to remember it because I don't want to. The obligatory, obligatory devil's, devil's advocate. advocate. I'm doing the obligatory devil's advocate. But I got you. Don't worry. Psychologists Stephen Hupp and Jeremy Jewell also conducted several experiments on twins and noted that all trials on the subject had failed to provide the scientific evidence for telepathy between twins. According to Hupp and Jewell, there are various behavioral and genetic factors that contribute to the twin telepathy myth. Quote, Identical twins typically spend a lot of time together and are usually exposed to very similar environments. Thus, it is not at all surprising that they act in similar ways and are adept at anticipating and forecasting each other's reactions to events. End quote. Okay, I'll bite. All of that seems very reasonable. That the reason why they can foresee things is because they've been raised together and blah, 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 and they're super close. Great. But what about twins who were separated at birth and didn't know that they were twins? There we go. That's what I want to hear about, Monique. I got you, girl. Fuck yes. James Jim Lewis of Lima, Ohio, was adopted in 1940, just three weeks after he was born. He was named James by his adoptive parents and had a dog named Toy. In school, he enjoyed math and carpentry, but hated spelling. He became a security guard who was an avid chain smoker and drove a Chevrolet. He went on to marry a woman named Linda. He and Linda eventually divorced, and he then married a woman named Betty. He had a son named James Allen Lewis. James Jim Springer of Pico, Ohio, was adopted in 1940, just three weeks after he was born. 
He was named James by his adoptive parents and had a dog named Toy. Oh my god! During his school years, he enjoyed math and carpentry, but never spelling. He went on to marry a woman named Linda. Later, he and Linda divorced, and he married a woman named Betty. Shut the fuck up. He had a son named James Allen Springer, except this (gasps) Allen had two L's, whereas James Allen Lewis had one L. Jim worked as a deputy sheriff, was an avid chain smoker, and drove a Chevrolet. Damn. All right, science. How do you explain that? They're going to give a bullshit answer. Of course. Coincidence. It's, it's all coincidence. It's a bullshit science answer. We'll get into it. It's the obligatory devil's advocate answer. Both Jim's mothers knew their sons had a twin brother, but Springer's mother was under the impression that the twin had died, while Lewis's mother knew a little bit more. When she went to court to have her adoption paperwork finalized, she overheard someone else mention in passing that the quote-unquote other baby had also been named James. Okay. So she was like, hmm? Hmm. Weird. Yeah. But kind of like kept it on the low. Yeah. Like didn't really tell her, her son. Didn't tell Jim. In 1979, at 39 years of age, Jim Lewis called the probate court, which had a record of his adoption, and four days later met his twin brother, Jim Springer. They found out that they had been separated at birth and had grown up only 45 miles away from each other. They also found out that they had basically led nearly identical lives. So insane. They discovered upon meeting each other that they both suffered from tension headaches, were both prone to nail biting, smoked the same brand of cigarettes, and even vacationed on the same beach in Florida. Damn. Like, there's a lot of fucking beaches in Florida. Like, yeah. And like marrying the two women, women named the exact same, same name. Yeah. The naming the dog toy. toy. Who, I don't I've never, I've never met, met a dog named toy. No, I've never met any animal named toy. No. It's cute though. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's like the fucking Rottweiler or something enormous that's not a toy dog. Oh, yeah. Of course. Toy. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> you have a little chihuahua named Killer. Yeah. That's <laughs> exactly. how it goes. Exactly. While it is possible that all of this is one enormous coincidence, it seems highly unlikely for all of these things to occur without one another even knowing each other existed. This is where some researchers believe that twin telepathy could have been a determining factor in this story. The Jim twins were identical twins, which could mean that they have the same brain patterns, which could explain why they would each marry a woman with the same name and call their children by the same names. Researchers even said twins who are raised separately can prove to be more similar than twins who are raised together because, quote, many times when twins are raised together, they feel the need to make themselves unique. Different, yeah. And to stand apart from their twin, Mm. causing them to act or do things differently than their twin simply because their twin does it that way, end quote. Interesting. I can see that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Upon hearing about the Jim twins' uncanny resemblances, researchers at the University of Minnesota invited the pair to come to their facility for testing. The team of researchers had been performing an ongoing study on twins, hoping to discover if separation had any role in the nature versus nurture debate. Between 1979 and 1999, the team studied 137 pairs of identical and fraternal twins, including the Jim twins, who had been separated at an early age and raised apart from each other. Their research sparked more than 170 separate studies focusing on medical and psychological characteristics of twins. 
In one study, the researchers took photographs of the twins and found that identical twins would stand in the same way, while fraternal twins had different postures. The bulk of what they discovered centered around the effect environment has on child rearing and the way genetics factor in as a comparison. The culprit for the odd uncanny similarities? Genes. A 1986 study that was part of the larger Minnesota study found that genetics plays a larger role on personality than previously thought. Apparently, genes can help explain not just how you look, but why someone is gay or straight, religious or not, brainy or not. Which Interesting. I didn't, I didn't really, realize yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't really think anything of that, honestly. Me neither. A study of four pairs of twins found that genetics had a stronger influence on sexual orientation in male twins than in female twins. And a recent study in Sweden of 4,000 pairs of twins was able to replicate these findings. Wow, damn. Like, fuck, this is crazy. The study showed that environment affected personality when twins were raised apart, but not when they were raised together. But also, I... Like, yes, great, but this to me, this doesn't explain any of the gym twins thing. Yeah, which I love that name for them, by the way. Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed with gym twins. It's so cute. They obsessed. show a show. Yeah. By one estimate, there are about 100 million twins worldwide. And the fact is that most twins do not report experiencing any sort of mysterious telepathic connection. Skeptics argue that if there were some special psychic connection between twins and that this connection were as strong and common as is often claimed, then we would hear millions of these amazing stories, and not just a few dozen. The official scientific stance is that there is no credible scientific evidence that psychic powers exist, either in the general population or among twins specifically. The official Monique Sanchez stance is that that is horseshit, and (laughs) telepathy absolutely (laughs) exists. It's just not some parlor trick that you can do on command. Also, go on Reddit and there's way more than just a few dozen accounts of twin telepathy. Yeah, I'm sure there's fucking a ton of Hundreds them. and hundreds yeah. and hundreds. Uh, so that's my spiel on twin telepathy. That was fucking amazing. Thank you. I am super intrigued. I kind of want to go on Reddit to the subreddit and read some more yeah. of these fucking you know, twin episodes here. It's funny because it didn't occur to me that twins actually run in my family. Oh, shit, do they? Yeah, my great-grandmother was a twin, and my aunt and uncle are fraternal twins. I don't know if my great-grandmother huh. was a... I don't know if she was identical or fraternal. Okay. Um, And apparently, it's the woman who carries that gene, and I'm the only Sanchez woman who oh, hasn't given girl. birth yet. So I'm, like, petrified that if I ever do, it'd be like, boom, you get two. Double your pleasure, double your fun. No, thank um, you. No, thank you. But I have a good friend of mine is an identical twin, so I met up with him, and I was like, have you ever had any... <gasps> situation he's like no i mean not really like i would i wish he's like i mean in school <laughs> no not at all no, not like really. one time except yeah. yeah all the fucking time he's like no i mean except in school every time i went to the bathroom like he would be at the bathroom at the same time and he's like well you know we ate like lunch at the same time and our genetics are the same yeah, we had so breakfast like at the same time before we left for school and he's yeah. like so like yeah like we would poop at the same time and i was like i don't know if that's how that works <laughs> and he's like oh and like every time he calls me i know he's gonna call me and his his twin lives in Australia. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. not, like so it's a completely different time. It's like basically twelve hours different. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, like every time he calls, I know he's gonna call me, like right before. And I'm like, how the fuck is that not twin telepathy? Yeah. 
Just because it's a feeling. You just get a feeling they're going to call. Right, because yeah. you're not like, I stopped 9-11. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, like, I was... saved my twin from drowning in the bathtub. Like, yeah. Yeah, and like, like yeah, I just thought they were going to call. Yeah, and like, I'm not a twin, but I definitely experienced telepathy. I had an incident like last week that was very jarring to me. Okay. You know, like, I'll have, like, little things every now and then, but there's one person that I very much am connected to. You're, like, on the same wavelength, for sure, yeah. For sure. And it's kind of escalated in the last year that it's honestly weird. Like, I just, I think it's weird. I don't even think it's cool. Like, the amount of times this has happened is, like... And the specificity uh, of it. And then I'll, like, hit him up, and I'll be like, were you thinking of me, like, like, right now? And he's like, oh, yeah. Like, a few days ago, I, like, heard him, his voice, say something to me, very specific, that he's never said to me, like, in real life. And it was, like, as I was getting, as I was waking up. Huh, okay. And I'm someone who doesn't have, like, really vivid dreams. It was, like, he was in my room and said, like, whispered in my ear this thing. Okay. And then I was, like, um, random question. (laughs) Were you just thinking of me? And he was, like, oh, yeah. And I usually have, like, I'll have, like, Spidey senses about thing of like, oh, you should call this person or like something's happening with this person. But with this specific person, it is a very, it's almost like being like smacked in the face of like, this is yeah. happening. Weird. And whenever I've called him out on it, he's been like, yeah, but like has downplayed the extent of how much he was thinking of me. Of course. They always do. Yeah, no. They always do. Um, yeah. So like, I understand like you're trying to replicate science and you try to replicate it because that's how you do it. But I don't think most twins would be like, I'm thinking of green. Like, who gives a fuck about that? Yeah. And I do really kind of side with Sir Playfair, whatever the yeah. name was, where it's like, I feel like it's one of Danger like, and emotionality. Yes, and it's when it's like- Heightened yes, stuff. Yeah. 100%. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Far more likely than just like, I'm thinking about toast. And then my twin's like, yeah. I really want some toast right now. I mean, there, there were stories of I'm like- I'm sure that are like innocuous like that. That but. were like- I was working and I really wanted this one candy. I was really thinking how much I wanted this one candy. And when I went home, my twin had randomly bought it for me. Yeah. Which is amazing. Which is great. And it's like, but it's also one of those things I've definitely done with like my friends just because I know them and I was at the convenience store. And they're like, oh, they love this candy. I'm going to get this candy for them. And then like they go, they're like, oh my God, I was just thinking about this. I miss this so much. Yeah. But I think that that's, maybe it's, I don't see how that's not telepathy though. Or like that there's not something like some sort of communication. I think there's a thing because I've experienced the thing. And if you put me in a lab and you're like, send a message to this person or no. be like, or what's this person thinking of right now? I don't fucking know. Yeah. Probably that it's hot. I don't know. But I, I'm very fascinated by the whole, the whole thing. I am too. I used to um, nanny for fraternal twins. Oh, and I shit. always found it very interesting to just see one, how similar they were to one another and, and how, how different. completely different they were. Yeah. They were the sweetest though. I love it. They were amazing. So yeah, there you have it. Shit. Let us know what you guys think. Yeah, and if you're a twin, let us know if you've had... Oh my fucking God, I mean, yes. I gotta be out there. You said what, like one in 30? One in 30 in the United States, yeah. Which I actually didn't realize. That's like way higher of a number than I thought. I mean, with the advent of like IVF, it's gone up a lot. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. And realizing now, Johnny's cousins, also fraternal twins, was not even thinking about that. Yeah. Shit, and I'll have to ask him next time. I oh that. shit, Yeah. yeah. They'll be like, hey, have you guys ever had uh, like like, any, no. like, no, and then like the other one will laugh because he like, (laughs) (laughs) 
like sent a thing of being like, Amy's a loser, this right? Bitch. It's like, uh, I know. <laughs> but it's told her to love Probably. Her oh my God. <laughs> you're not, you're amazing. Kids are just terrible. Oh my gosh. I was like, even if they did, I would love it. I'd be like, I know what the fuck is up. Yeah. I see you. Yeah. That was great. Thank you. And you did not get into the Nazis. I appreciate that. I didn't. I was like, we can say that for another day. That's always, yeah. Yeah. Also, or you could listen to last podcast. They did several episodes on Angela. If you need that in your life right now, knock yourself out. Oh, yeah. It's funny that you, did we bring up Nazis in the last episode? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Because literally. (laughs) I was like, did you forget that? We for sure brought up Nazis. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck we talk about and what, and even I was, I hung out with Donna this weekend and she was like, mentioned stuff and you're like, what are you even referring to? (laughs) No, not just that. Donna's like, so I don't remember the conversations we've had and me listening to you on the podcast. She's like, I don't remember what is is between us and what is me just knowing things. Right. Exactly. So, so I similarly like, I don't know what the fuck we talk about, Uh, even though I listened back to it and I'm, then I just dump it for the next episode. But as I was working on this story midway through, I'm like, and I didn't even bring up the fucking Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck them. It was literally a thought. <laughs> I'm actually really proud of you because when you first started, I was like, well, oh, I know where no. this is going to end up. No. I keep you on the edge of your seat, baby. I love it. I love it. I mean, I actually preferred that rendition yeah. of it. And realistically, that's its own fucking story. Yes. Yes. I'm not. Like, no, no. if we touch on that, that's going to be its own thing yeah, because it's so sure. fucking crazy. Yeah. And, you know, last week was tough. I know. I know I, it was a tough one. Last, last week, week was tough. And I, I had another one lined up that was a little bit tough. And you were like, no. And then go. I was like, let's go fucking twin telepathy. I love Fuck this shit. yes. Fuck yes. Don't obligatory devil's advocate me, science. <laughs> Such a bummer. God. Do I have to blank Bum it? everybody else Nancy out. Siegel. Right now. <laughs> go fuck yourself. Fuck you. No. I mean, no, I'm whatever. Sure you're you're nice doing lady. great you're, stuff. And you're doing good work, yeah. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Not just be, me being like, I object, madam. <laughs> I don't like that answer. I've decided gonna... that this is yeah. true. <laughs> um, I have decided it's true because I've experienced it. So, um, and go. if you, if anyone has hit us up and let us know, I am fascinated. Yeah. If you're a twin or even if you're not, yeah. I am obsessed and fascinated with all of this. I want all the stories. <gasps> I know. I'd love that. Yeah. It's a little weird, but yeah. I'm so here for it. I love all those stories. I always think yeah. they're so deeply fascinating. Yeah. It's like whether they're mystical powers or not, I still think it's for sure fascinating. Even if it's that you just really, really know this person. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool. It is very cool. The person that I'm very tied to, I don't have that. I don't like a lot of the information I have from her, he hasn't told me. I've just gathered it and it's been put into my head. And it's not like you grew up with this person and you no. know her super well. Like, yeah. No, 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 no. So not at all. So who's to say? Who's to say? There you go. You make your own, you make your own judgments. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. There you go. But if you have stories, oh my God, let us know. Please give us stories. Yes. I'm I'm expecting that for the next listener episode. Girl. Yeah. Get it together. Mm Mm-hmm. I can never get it together, Monique. It's like the one (laughs) thing about me. Just like, I can't get my shit together. (sighs) Oh my God. You know what time it is? What time is it? It's fucking crime time, bitches. Crime time. Fuck Yes. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to do you dirty like Monique did. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I have to say, 
I love you. I tease out of love because I was so obsessed with that fucking story. Like, yeah. I honestly could not stop thinking about that story all yeah. fucking week. It's re- It was really upsetting. I could not get over it. Like, yeah. how prolific. Like, I had not heard anything about yeah. this. Like, And just, like, who we think we are versus who we are. Yes. And... Oh, that always gets me. Uh, and that thing of, you know, that upset me more than, like people being murdered which yeah. like probably says a lot about me but but it's also the, the wide arching spectrum of crime of like it doesn't have to be blood and guts and gore to still be really disturbing and really upsetting yes and you're so right yeah also it just started thunderstorming which is a perfect uh mood yeah okay get some for, atmosphere all yeah. right so if you hear that in the background even Enjoy. though special effects apparently amy's not going to traumatize the fuck out of you like i, I don't last know, week. maybe no <laughs> It's not my intention. If you are, apologies. I was trying to. Sometimes I double down when Monique does a does a really um, does a really horrifying one, and I'm it's like, I've got to one up you her. Too much. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? I gotta be easy on myself this week. Yeah, be gentle. So I'm going to tell you about the final voyage of the Bluebell, which does not sound true crimey at all, and that's intentional on my part. Sources. Wikipedia, allthat'sinteresting.com, mentalfloss.com, today.com, salon.com, time.com, cbsnews.com, rd.com, which, for those not in the know, Reader's Digest, and some excerpts from the book Alone, Orphaned on the Ocean. Oh my god! Okay. Wait, do you know what this is? You said the title, and I was like, I have an inkling as to what this might entail. Okay. And that last bit is confirming confirming? what I believe. I don't know if I, like, know what it actually is, but I am fucking here for it. I'm so fucking excited. Are you? Okay. Also, it could be the most horrific thing ever, and I'd be like, I rescind that comment. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't know that that's what was happening. (laughs) I don't think... No, I think you're fine. I think that reaction is correct. I don't think you're going to have to rescind at all. Um, But if it is what I think it is, I'm very excited. Okay, good. I Topic-wise. Yay. Okay, because I apparently was living under a stupid rock this whole time, and I had never heard this story. So when I stumbled across it, I was like, that is super interesting. I don't know if I know the story, but I feel I know the subject matter. I'm very excited. Oh, okay. Hell yeah. Yes. So, in 1961, the Duperaults were the epitome of a picturesque American family. Oh, red flag. I know. Always sounds super ominous. There was 40-year-old Dr. Arthur Duperalt, who was an optometrist from Green Bay, Washington, his 38-year-old wife, Jean, a farm girl from Madison, Nebraska, turned secretary, and their three children... 14-year-old Brian, 11-year-old Terry Joe, and 7-year-old Brene. Before starting a family, Arthur had dropped out of college to join the Navy. During that time, he discovered his love of the ocean. After serving as a medical corpsman stationed in Burma during the Second Sino-Japanese War, he was assigned to the Pentagon in late 1944, where he met his future wife, Jean Broche, who was working as a secretary at FBI headquarters. All of that is rad as fuck. Right? And they had like a whirlwind romance and they, you know. I'm obsessed with everything about Right? That. I love it. I love the vibe of this whole family. And I feel like a lot of the sources and articles I read didn't really go into like the background of the family or anything. And I kind of wanted to just like do right by them and give you like, they had such a like beautiful, beautiful sweet, caring, loving family. And like, I feel like more people should be aware of that. Yeah. So 
He meets his wife at FBI headquarters. They get married. And when he was discharged from the Navy in 1945, they moved to Wisconsin, intending to start a family. They settled on an acre of wooded land near the Shorewood Country Club, just outside Green Bay, a few miles northeast of the city, to raise their three children. Brian was 14 and small for his age, so he took judo to compensate. He was outgoing and loved to play baseball and golf, as well as the piano. He also liked to work in his workshop, building things like a go-kart and doing chemistry experiments. That is so fucking cool. Right? Like, ah, uh, these like little kids in the 60s are just like... I was not that kid, but I really wish I was. Yes, fuck yes. That's just, I was not inclined that way. No, me, me neither. I definitely just wanted to like chill and watch TV and read some books. No, same. I was yeah. like, I'm going to watch TV, memorize all of it, and perform it for my friends. Yes. Florida's hot. I don't really want to go outside. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I'm good. So yeah, I'm all about this. I love this. Terry Joe was 11 and a tomboy who, although she was younger, was a few inches taller than her brother. Mm. She was a strong swimmer and liked ice skating, water skiing, and horseback riding. She didn't really enjoy social and group activities and was content to be the loner of the family. Same girl. I was going to say, literally, <laughs> literally in parentheses, uh, same. <laughs> She enjoyed spending summers on her grandparents' farm, riding horses, and tending to the animals. She loved animals and was constantly bringing them home. She had a couple of rabbits, two dogs, and five cats. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Her poor parents, honestly. <laughs> like, another one? Come on, please. She enjoyed going on adventures in the woods by her house and idolized Tarzan, even going so far as to fashion a loincloth out of apparently, like, squirrel ah! that she like squirrel carcasses that she found in the woods oh like God. this little girl's a badass like she's like yeah i'll make my own fucking loincloth like tarzan out of the fucking squirrels i find nbd i would just be like do they sell them at toys r us <laughs> no that i guess we will never have one <laughs> like i'm good renee was seven and was shy even with family members and very feminine preferring to wear dresses and play with dolls i mean same girl yeah. I'm an amalgamation of the two. There you I'm like, go. I want to wear the, the dress, blend. play the doll, and please don't talk to me. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I that is too relatable, I have honestly. a date with Barbie and Ken for the next three hours, so you can pencil in an appointment. I will probably be late. Okay, thanks. Because we're going to the ski lodge, and things are getting hot and heavy <laughs> between the two. <laughs> Oh my god, trust me. If I had a dollar for the amount of times my mom had to ask me why my Barbies were just naked under the covers. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, they're playing, obviously. Because like, I saw taxi cab confessions and real sex <laughs> when you were asleep. That's why. So now You Barbie didn't put the parental playing. controls on TV. That's why. <laughs> they did not put the parental <laughs> uh, I was like, my favorite was when they told me they were going to, and then I checked a week later, and I was like, they definitely didn't. <laughs> that was okay. like- Okay. I like if we say maybe she'll believe it. We don't have to. Yeah, to right. We don't have to do it. <laughs> it's like those liars. <laughs> I was like, I can totally watch Cinemax after dark. You liars. Okay. Well, you technically can't because it's Skinemax. So oh they yes, lying. yes, that's that is true. true. Skinemax. Oh my god, <laughs> what a blast from the past. So, as you can imagine, they were an athletic family that loved the outdoors. Doctor Duperalt, unsurprisingly, was an avid sailor considering his time in the Navy, and would even go ice boat sailing during the bitterly cold Wisconsin winters, which is apparently a very risky, unforgiving, high-speed sport that demands great skill. Oh. They travel around 50 to 60 miles per hour and wear very little crash protection. Yeah, I mean, isn't 
Is it deadliest catch? Is basically like it's not that, but it's like in the cold, like oh yeah, being a fisherman. Yeah, and no. they're like, this is the most dangerous shit in the world. Like you get paid bank because you're you, probably gonna die. Because if you fall off, like odds are you're dead. Basically, yeah. No, thank you. No, he's just but he's a for fucking fun. badass. Yeah. He's in the Pentagon. He yeah. doesn't give a fuck. The doctor also had friends with large sailboats that he had learned to sail on and had taken out occasionally. He tried to instill his love of sailing and the ocean in his children. He would tell them all about his experiences during the war, traveling, and his dreams to travel the seas together as a family. These dreams would end up becoming the bedtime stories he told his children. And he always, always stressed the importance of exploring the world and seeing other cultures. I love that. I love that too. And it's like 1961. So like, that's not a big... This is woke as fuck. Yeah, right? Like they're very progressive as a family. And they just honestly seemed like really good, loving people. The dad once jumped into the cold Green Bay waters to rescue a friend's daughter during, (gasps) like when she slipped through her life ring and the mom drove a neighbor to the hospital during a blizzard. Like they're They're just just good good people. Yeah. But in 1960, Dr. Duperall started to feel like he was too focused on his work and that he wasn't spending enough time with his children. Worried that if he didn't take his family on his dream sailing cruise soon, that it might never happen, he began to plan a brief sailing excursion to see how well they would adapt to the routine of sailing and living together in such a confined space. Mm. In the summer of 1961, he found someone to take over his optometry practice for a year, and it seemed like his dream was finally coming to fruition. It was easy to take the kids out of school for the fall semester, and their teachers told them they could- So it's a whole semester that he's taken them. It says fall semester. It ends up only being a week-long trip, but I think their intention was kind of like, try the week out, see how it went, then maybe extend it for Uh, the uh month, and then kind of like feel it out. Yeah. So a trial. Yes. Okay. Cool. Kind of leaving it open-ended, I feel like. Mm -hmm. So their teachers told them they could study during the trip and suggested that their mom tutor them- I guess it's like, instead of homeschooling, it's like boat schooling. Fun. The Duperalds decided to spend at least the fall trying out life at sea, and if they liked it, they planned to extend it to a year. So they packed up their things in two station wagons, hooked up a little sleeper trailer, and headed down to Florida. In early November, the Duperalt family arrived in Fort Lauderdale after a brief stop at a trailer park on the Gulf Coast near Tampa. They planned to take a one-week quote-unquote shakedown cruise through the Bahamas and had found the Bluebell moored at Fort Lauderdale's Bahia Mar Yacht Basin was available to charter for a week from the owner Harold Pegg. The Bluebell was a 60-foot catch, a two-masted sailboat that was originally built as a racing yacht. The ship also had a white wooden dinghy and a black rubber lifeboat stored along the left side of the cabin roof and a white five-man cork life float lashed to the right side. The Bluebell was designed to carry five or six passengers comfortably in the main bedroom, main cabin, and aft sleeping compartment, which was perfect for the five-member Duperalt family. There was also a forward cabin where the crew would stay. The crew in this case came in the form of Julian Harvey as the skipper and his newly wedded wife, Mary Dean, as the cook. Okay, so they're not not entirely on their own in this. No. Harold Pegg, the boat's owner, had made an arrangement with Harvey offering to let him and his wife live on the boat and crew it for chartered trips on salary. And so the Duperalt family chartered the Bluebell and hired Julian Harvey, the handsome 44-year-old retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel and veteran fighter pilot, to skipper the charter for $100 a day. Harvey, like Dr. Duperalt's, had always loved sailing. So when he retired in 1958, he moved to Miami to pursue his dream of becoming a full-time master of a sailing yacht. In pursuit of his dreams, he briefly owned a 70-foot yacht, which he sailed from Miami to the Bahamas a number of times before he was forced to sell it. 
He then worked briefly as a deckhand on a majestic four-masted windjammer before he signed on to be the charter skipper of the Bluebell in the summer of 1961. Mm. Apparently, Julian Harvey was quite the dashing figure oh. in the 60s. Oh. Sophisticated, well-mannered, charming, a bit of a playboy. It was rumored that he had worked as a male model before college and was a fitness buff before that was even really a thing. Hey. Which goes to tell you he was just like super egotistical and superficial and was like, I'm so hot. <laughs> Basically is what right. that yes. to. Now, because of his natural charisma and good looks, he reportedly did very well with the ladies and although he did have a slight stutter, it apparently only made him seem more endearing and approachable. On July 26, 1961, Harvey married a beautiful former TWA flight attendant and aspiring writer, Mary Dean Jordan. Like the Duperalts, Dean, as she was known, was also originally from Wisconsin, and while it was rumored that she was just the most recent in a long string of Harvey's wives, no one really knew for sure. Married for just four months by that time, Harvey and his wife were set to join the Duperalts on the Bluebell as the crew for their week-long trip through the Bahamas. So, I'm sorry, to back up for a second. So it's alleged that Harvey has a, a fuck ton of wives, and she's the latest one. Yes. But no one can point to any other wife. Well, it's one of the things, like, he retired to Florida, so people don't really, like, know his whole backstory, and it's just, like... So people like, are just shit-talking, because that's what you do in Florida. Oh, yeah, and they kind of just, like, don't really know who he is as a person. They're like, I mean, we heard he's, like, kind of, they think he has a bunch of wives, but they're, like, not really certain because they don't really, like, know him. They've just, like, seen this guy around and he's... Who's, like, hot. Who's, like, hot and charismatic and he's, you know... For a lot of his time there, he was single, so he was just, you know, flirting with the ladies and they would want to yeah. take pictures with him and, like... I mean, I don't know the story. He might be trash, but I'm like, don't shit talk someone you can't bang. There you go. Fuck you. Right? I'm happy for this newlywed couple. I might eat those words soon, but I'm I'm making that statement right now. <laughs> Noted. Oh shit. Okay. Okay. Fuck. No. <laughs> I rescind um, everything. No. That's fine. On the afternoon of Wednesday, November eighth, nineteen sixty-one, the Duperalt family boarded the Bluebell and finally set off on the sailing trip they had dreamed about for years. I know. <laughs> uh, Over the next Don't four have dreams, guys. <laughs> and then they won't break your fucking heart or kill you. That's very true. <laughs> it's like words to live by. <laughs> Don't have dreams. <laughs> I get it, though. Over the next four days, they leisurely traveled to Bimini, then up to Sandy Point. They spent their time snorkeling, searching for shells on the beach, and buying souvenirs. Mm. On November 12th, at their final stop before beginning the return trip back to Florida, Dr. Duperalt and Captain Harvey visited the office of British District Commissioner Roderick Pinder, where Dr. Duperalt told him, quote, This has been a once-in-a-lifetime vacation. We'll be back before Christmas. I missed last words. I know. It's oh, never good. Afterwards, the Duperalts and the Harveys shared a dinner of chicken cacciatore and salad back aboard the Bluebell. Mm. After dinner, Terry Joe went below deck to go to sleep while everyone else remained on deck. The following day, on Monday, November 13th, shortly afternoon, a crew member on the oil tanker Gulf Lion saw a man drifting in a dinghy in their direction. <gasps> he was waving frantically and could be heard shouting, help, I have a dead baby on board. <gasps> The crew of the Gulf Lion managed to pull him aboard, then stared helplessly at the body of a redheaded girl wearing a life jacket laying in the bottom of the dinghy. <gasps> the man calmly identified himself as Julian Harvey, skipper of the Bluebell, and said the girl who he had tried unsuccessfully to save was Terry Joe Duperalt. 
Oh, I know. Harvey was immediately taken to Nassau and questioned by authorities about the final hours and the ultimate fate of the Bluebell and her passengers. According to him, at 8.30 the previous evening, while they were sailing somewhere between the Albacoe Islands and Great Stirrup Cay, the Bluebell was suddenly hit by a strong squall, which was powerful enough to cause the boat to keel over <gasps> and the main mast to snap. Holy fuck! He claimed the mast had pierced the ship's hull, rupturing the gas lines in the engine room and slightly injuring his wife. According to Harvey, he was completely separated from everyone else on board because of the falling mast and the subsequent loose rigging. While he attempted to retrieve a wire cutter from the cabin to clear the deck, a fire broke out in the engine room. Holy fuck! And while he was busy trying to put it out, he was unable to rescue his wife or any of the passengers. He said everyone else either got caught in the rigging or jumped overboard as the boat went down. Eventually, Harvey said he was forced to abandon the catch and board the emergency dinghy. Floating by himself in the dinghy, he said he shouted himself hoarse, trying to find the other passengers, but got no reply. When he finally did spot Terry Jo, she was floating face down, already dead. He said he retrieved her and tried to revive her, but it was already too late. He kept her body with him out of respect, and the autopsy concluded that she had, in fact, died of drowning. Even though there was... <sighs> I know. So, you have several pages left. I do. Shit's gonna go down, girl. Don't you worry. I'm making a prediction this is horseshit. Ooh. I was team... What was his name? Uh, Julian Harvey. Julian Harvey. Because I was like, it's not Henry, because I would never besmirch Henry. No. Or his name. No. Because we're obsessed with Henry. Henry, you're amazing. But Harvey. Harvey. Fuck this motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, interesting that Monique would mention that, because even though there was no way to disprove his story, since he was the sole survivor and the bluebell itself was at the bottom of the ocean... The authorities definitely thought it was odd that the dinghy had been filled with various survival supplies. Ah, you fuck! And that for someone who had been in a devastating shipwreck that had killed his new wife, remember, they'd only been married for four months at that point, and a family with three young children, he seemed unusually calm. Lie better. (laughs) We're not teaching you how to get away with a crime, but seriously, y'alls are real bad at it. Ridiculous. Despite their suspicions, though, there was no evidence that what he claimed happened on the Blue Belt wasn't the truth. So he was allowed to return to Miami on November 15th, but was set to face further questioning by the U.S. Coast Guard upon his arrival. Mm. Three days later, on November 16th... Wait, 15th to 16th is three days later? uh, He was found on November 13th. Ah, They sent him to Miami on November 15th. So three three days after after he was found. Okay, sorry, my bad. No, I actually didn't make that clear. That was correct. So three days after Harvey is picked up, Nikolas Spachidakis, the second officer of the Greek freighter Captain Theo, was on watch. While dutifully scanning the waters of the Northwest Providence Channel for any danger, something caught his eye. At first, he thought it was just another white cap in the distance. But as he watched it, he noticed that it didn't seem to disappear like the other waves. As he continued to watch, he began to think it was just a piece of debris floating in the water. As they drew even closer, he started to think it might actually be a small fishing dinghy because he could just make out a small bump that could have been a fisherman. But the second officer knew there was absolutely no way a tiny fishing dinghy would be out that far. So he immediately called the captain to the bridge, who made the decision to head towards it. Mm. As the ship got closer, the men were amazed to see that it wasn't a dinghy at all, but a small white life float. And sitting on it 
was a young girl <gasps> in pale pink petal pushers and a white blouse. Her hair bleached nearly white from the sun. One of the crewmen who happened to have a camera on board took a picture of her looking up at them from the cork float, squinting from the sun. Ugh. The image of her tiny frame surrounded by a vast expanse of ocean would shortly be wired around the world and front pages everywhere would proclaim the miracle of the quote-unquote sea waif. The photo was published along with the story of Terry Joe's survival in Life magazine in December 1961. The image was so powerful they dedicated a full two-page spread to the photo, with one page showing her looking up from the raft on the other page, only the sea is visible. Oh, fuck. As they drew near, the crew killed the engines and put a small raft made of empty oil drums tied together over the side. Can you imagine oh being in her position? No. I'm going to guess she, she gets into the tea of what actually happened. Oh, yeah. Wrong. So the trauma of what happened, there's that. Pretty yeah. Much. Secondly, you are alone in the vastness of the ocean. And you're like... So I'm fucked. Yes. It's been real. Thanks. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. 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 Yeah. Amazing. I couldn't imagine. Just There's that, that line from something that it's like, water, water, everywhere, not a drop to drink. Drink? Yes. Right? I was thinking But just that. looking right. as far as your eye can see, seeing water and seeing not a fucking soul, not a bird because you're nowhere near fucking shore. Nope. Like you are just fucked beyond belief. Yep. I couldn't imagine terrifying that situation terrifying and for three and a half days i just feel that that's where i would go into like so what's the thing that's gonna get me is it gonna be sun exposure is it gonna be a shark is it gonna be me falling asleep and falling off of this fucking thing and drowning is it gonna be dehydration like that's the only thing that i'd be like what's the thing that's gonna punch my ticket that's, I feel the only th- thought that would be in my head. Not like, who's going to save me? I'd be like, no, I'm super fucked. This is where, this is where I get off of the Yeah, train. I'm good. Thanks. No, I <sighs> fucking couldn't. I fucking couldn't. The captain who could see sharks circling her foot. Oh my God. And moving closer to the girl's dangling feet ordered the men to hurry. This is my fucking worst fucking nightmare. Oh my fuck. Literally. Like, the sharks are like, this girl's gonna be dead in, like, ten minutes. So, like, we're good. We're just, like, chill here. I don't know what I, snack. what what usurped the, the shark um, irrational fear thing on my irrational fears list <laughs> a couple episodes ago. Bleeding from the eyes. <laughs> girl, You've I been never... knocked off again. Sharks are back at number one. <laughs> I will never, I will never forget the things that trigger your irrational fears, honey. I'm, I'm glad because I don't even know. It's when I'm, I'm confronted with them yes. that I go into a fucking banner. <laughs> it's that I actually remind you, I'm like, here's the thing you forgot. Hi. Hi. That's... Here's the thing you need to be afraid of. No, it's, that's why one of a hundred thousand reasons I'm obsessed with you. Because you're like, I know you're not remembering your trigger, but I got you. Here. <laughs> right here. So bleeding from the eyes. You've sharks. been knocked down. Sharks back up again. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if I've ever told this story on the podcast, but I am scuba certified and I've been scuba diving on several occasions. Mm-hmm. And when I went to Turks and Caicos for my 30th birthday, we went scuba diving and saw sharks. Nope. And like, literally, I have pictures of me like scuba diving next nope. to a shark. Nope. And when I told this story to anyone, literally anyone, everyone's first question was, oh my God, were you scared? And then I realized that I wasn't at all. And it was only when people started asking me if I was scared that I realized how odd it was that I was completely calm the entire time. I was just like, they're there. They're chilling. Like, I'm here. They're not going to come bother me. I'm not going to come bother them. Like, we're good. Realistically, your response is the correct response. 
Apparently not, because everyone else was like, oh my god, how afraid were you? And I was like, no, just because everyone else was wrong with me, that my brain was like, this is not a terrifying scenario at all. No, no, no. You have the correct response. Okay, good. They're chilling, and you're chilling. We're all fucked up from Jaws and whatever the fuck. Apparently. Because statistically, it's highly improbable. Because when you go to the beach, there are sharks in there. Yeah. That that's their home. They live there. Yes. They live there. You're visiting their home. Exactly. Yeah. With and your the, tasty legs. So right. that's on and, you. And it's only in the smallest of cases that they kind of wild out and are like, Are you a seal? Yeah. <laughs> and then go nuts. But most of the time, we are chilling out in their home, and they're like, yeah, that's fine. That's cool. So you have the correct Thank you. thing. That's why it's not a logical fears list. It's an irrational fears list. This is very true. Yes. You're nailing it. <laughs> I'm not. I was like, that being said, uh, if a shark came any closer than, like, probably 10 feet to me, I would definitely be scared and lose my shit. I'm not saying I'm like, no, I'm not afraid of sharks. Like, yeah. I'm a badass. It just wasn't scary in that scenario. Also, it wasn't a great white. It was like clearly like a fucking nurse shark or some shit. Black tipped something, probably. I'm totally getting the shark wrong. Whatever. One that's not dangerous. I mean, yeah, relatively. This so, is where yes. my nephew would be great. He like knows all the sharks. He would probably be <laughs> Ten-year-olds, they're great. The crew crowded the rails and shouted at the girl not to jump in the water while they prepared to rescue her. Oh my god. Finally, Evangelos Concilas one of the crew members was able to climb down on the makeshift raft and paddle the unwieldy craft over to the float. He lifted the girl aboard the raft and she immediately went limp in his arms. Getting her back to the freighter, they gently wrapped a bowline around her and hoisted her limp body up to the deck. The girl's lips were cracked and puffy. Her skin was painfully burned. Her cheeks were sunken and her eyes were dull and unseeing. A crew member lifted her from the bowline and tried to stand her on the deck, but her legs buckled immediately. Severely dehydrated and running a fever of 105, she was in desperate shape. Seeing that she couldn't even walk, the captain gently picked her up and carried her to a spare cabin. Rendered speechless, these tough Greek sailors couldn't help but cross themselves as they stared in disbelief at the barely alive girl with tears in their eyes. Which, like, that got me so much. Like, these tough Greek sailors just, like, being like, we literally witnessed a miracle from the sea. And For like, sure. Ugh. For sure. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Because she's, for three fucking days, yeah. alone on a raft. She's not a tough sailor. She's a child. She's 11 years old. Yeah. And by a miracle of someone who deserves a pay raise on right? that ship, it's like, there's something that seems kind of, what? what is that over yeah. there? Not like, that's far away. That doesn't have to do with us. I don't give a fuck. It's a wave. Don't worry about it. I'm gonna yeah. look over here for a little bit. Like, no. He was literally, he was on watch and he was watching. Good fucking job, dude. Get it. Yes. Um, I mean, it's a fucking miracle. Yeah. Because if they didn't see her, she was fucked. Literally. Yes. Like, and Lord knows how much time she had left. Yeah. Before they, they showed up. I mean, she was basically like on death's door yeah. as far as I know. So like, she would not have lasted the day. She was basically like about to go out. Oh my God. Yeah. They gave her sips of water and orange juice, then gently sponged the salt from her sunburned skin and put Vaseline on her cracked lips. Oh. The captain tried to get her to talk, but she was unresponsive and almost comatose. Yeah. He asked her name, telling her he wanted to tell her family she was alive. She finally shook her head and... No, I'm sorry. Continue, because I, I know... You got so, I know. You got so upset. <laughs> yes. She shook her head and pointed down with her thumb. Oh, my God. Oh, my I God. Know. I know. He... Just- 
to hug her. I know. He took this to mean that she was the sole survivor of whatever had happened to her. He tried to reassure her, saying that her family may have been rescued, but she shook her head and pointed to the water, indicating that they were in the sea. I know. I kind of gave myself chills with that. Oh my god, can you fucking imagine? No. Finally, she managed to rasp one word. Bluebell. Encouraged by her response, the captain then asked if she had any relatives anywhere. She whispered yes, told him her name was Terry Jo Dubralt, and that she had relatives in Green Bay. Afterwards, she immediately fell unconscious. Mm. While the captain had not specifically been alerted by the Coast Guard to be on the lookout for Bluebell survivors, he had happened to overhear a news broadcast about Captain Harvey's rescue, and while he noted they were in the same general vicinity, he hadn't paid much attention to the newscast at the time. After the traumatized girl fell unconscious, he immediately telegraphed the Coast Guard in Miami, quote, picked up blonde girl, brown eyes from small white raft, suffering exposure and shock, name Terry Joe Duperalt, was on Bluebell, end quote. A rescue helicopter was sent and she was airlifted to a Miami hospital in critical condition. Although she began to slowly recuperate for two and a half days, she was unable to tell authorities what had happened to her and her family and Harvey's wife. All they knew was that somehow, against all odds, Terry Joe had survived whatever had befallen the sailboat. Then Terry Joe spent four days without water in burning daytime sun and freezing nights, all while balancing herself on a small life float that was designed to be held onto for a few hours in the water, not ridden on for days. Oh my god. By the time they found her, the raft had nearly disintegrated. <gasps> yeah. Fucking crazy. And it's like a round raft with like a little net in the bottom and like the net was broken. So literally she can't even like lay down on this life raft ring, whatever. She's like literally just propped up on the side. It's like two feet by five feet. It's tiny. Absolute insanity. I can't even imagine. I mean, the hand is covering the mouth. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine any of this. By November 20th, Terry Joe had finally recovered enough to tell investigators what happened. According to her, on November 12th, around 9 p.m., after everyone ate dinner, Terry Joe went below deck to her bunk to sleep and left everyone else up top. Later that night, she woke up to her brother screaming and heard him yell, Help, Daddy. <gasps> she could hear running and stamping noises above her, then nothing. Oh my god. She lay in her bed, shivering, too terrified to even move. After about five minutes, she finally got the courage to creep out of her cabin. She immediately saw her mother and brother lying in a pool of blood (gasps) and said she knew they were dead. Oh my god. I know. Climbing the stairs, she looked out the hatch and saw even more blood. She climbed up onto the deck but said that as soon as she did, Harvey suddenly lunged at her and shoved her back down the stairs, telling her to get back down there. Holy fuck. Yeah. This guy's gone fucking psycho. Hmm. Carefully averting her eyes from her mother and brother's body, she returned to her bunk only to be met with the sounds of water filling the cabin. Terry Joe knew the ship was flooding, but was too afraid to move. Oh my god. Suddenly, she saw the captain silhouetted in the cabin's doorway, holding what looked like a rifle in his hands. Oh my god. Terrified, Terry Joe watched as he stood looking down at her for a moment. Then he walked away and went back above deck. She stayed there as long as she could, but when water started lapping at the top of her mattress, she knew she had to leave. So she climbed the stairs and made her way above deck. From the light on the top of the main mast, she could see the ship's dinghy and rubber life raft were floating beside the boat. She asked if the ship was sinking and Harvey said yes and pushed the line to the dinghy into her hands and told her to hold it. But, numb with shock, it slipped through her fingers and slowly began to drift away from the sinking bluebell. When he realized what happened, Harvey immediately jumped overboard to catch it and Terry Joe watched as he disappeared into the night. 
Still stuck on the sinking ship, she suddenly remembered the cork life float that was strapped to the side of the main cabin. It was just barely above the water at that point, and she rushed to untie it. Just as it came free, the boat deck sank into the ocean beneath her feet. Half crawling, half swimming, she managed to push the float into the open water. She climbed on, but as she did, one of the lines snagged on the sinking ship. For an absolutely terrifying moment, Terry Joe and the float were pulled under <gasps> the water as the bluebell went down. Then, with a breath of relief, the line came free and the float popped back up with Terry Joe holding tight. Still afraid that Harvey might be lying in wait for her in the dark waters, she kept low in the float, trying to keep herself hidden. Stranded alone in open water, Terry Joe had no water, no food, and was dressed in only a thin blouse and pink pedal pushers, with nothing to protect her from the chill of the night. The waves crashing into her float caused salt water to sting her eyes and lips, Ugh. and a sudden rain shower during the night left her soaked and caused her to start shaking uncontrollably. Ugh. The next morning, the sun drove the chill away, but brought a whole new set of problems. The temperature quickly rose, and the sun began to scorch her. The float started disintegrating, exposing her legs and feet to the sharp bite of parrotfish. The next day, she saw a small red plane circling overhead. She watched it and waved at it with her blouse for a long time, and at one point, it even dived in her direction. But it passed directly overhead oh my with God. the pilot unable to see her. I literally, through this entire thing, have had like my mouth agape with the jaw on the floor and just my hand on the forehead. I can't it's handle so any of this. And I've mentioned this before that, you know, I am a very like Pollyanna optimistic person. I'm always like, I didn't come this far to come this far. But if this is the situation I'm in, I'm like, well, this is where I get off. <laughs> it was a good run. It's been great. Cheers to you. This is how it happens. Yes. Fuck my life. I have resigned myself to this. Yeah. yeah. I'm not Same. like, God's going to send someone to help me out. I'm like, no, I'm doubly fucked. I'm yeah. super fucked. No, this is, I'm shark food. That's, that's what's happening yeah. right now. And then if that were the case, I'd be like, and everyone told me this was an irrational thing. <laughs> that I'm never going to eat my shark. And That's now crazy. I'm fucking going to die being yeah. eaten by a shark. What the fuck? <laughs> and I don't even get the satisfaction of getting to tell people I was fucking right. Exactly. I would just haunt the fuck out of them and be like, I'm Good. fucking right. Yes, of course. I'm As you should. I'm a little vindictive. As you should. That's fine. <laughs> I'm okay with that. And in fact, the odds of someone spotting her at all were incredibly slim. Yeah. The float, her blouse, and her blonde hair made her look like just another white cap on the sea. Oh my god. And with where she was floating, she would have eventually just drifted north into the vast waters of the Atlantic Ocean with the Gulf Stream. Oh my god. At one point during her three and a half days at sea, she saw a group of porpoises and was oddly comforted by their presence. Oh. They ended up swimming close to her for hours and she thanked God for sending them to her. While the night brought relief from the scorching heat, the uncertainty of the ocean in the dark was a whole other issue. Her dreams that night were strange and feverish. Her skin had burned through her clothes, and she oh had to now balance on the raft as the rope webbing in the middle had broken away. Oh my she God. started hallucinating and finally fell unconscious. Even when she was hallucinating, though, Terry Jo never thought she would die. She said, quote, I was never frightened. I was an outdoors child, and I loved the water. I had strong faith. I believed in God, and I prayed for him to help me, and I just went with the flow. End quote. Oh, man. If you will it, it is no dream. Let me tell Shit. You. I like, mean, I mean, was rescued by Greek sailors, so yeah, fuck. Immediately, I'd be like, well, I'm fucked. I guess this is how this is happening. I don't. It wouldn't occur to me to be like, God's going to save me. Like, I'm good. We got this. Just Fucking go with the flow. Yeah. 36 years of Catholicism. I'd be like, well, I'm on my own here. <laughs> Thanks. Fuck. Thanks. Fuck I, me, right? I, I guess, wouldn't yeah. even be like, this is your fault. I'd be like, well... 
all right, I guess I had to go this way. It's and been that sucks. Fun while it lasted. Yeah. At no point would I have been like, God's going to take care of me. Really? No, That's I don't the whole think point so. of faith, isn't it? That like God's going to take care of you? Yeah. I'm not doing great with it, though. I was like, this is the point in my life where I would suddenly find faith. And I'd be like, if I swear to God, if you get me out of here, like, I, girl, I'm your girl. You got me for life. Yeah, it would not occur to me to be like, maybe like in the third day of delirium, I'd be like, this is all going to work out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> because here's the thing. The reality is we all got to go sometime. That's very true. So I'd be like, fuck, this is when it ends. This is when it ends. Yeah, this is it. Suboptimal. Yeah. Not my choice of how I would have wanted yeah. to go. And not fun. You're thirsty and you're sunburned and you're tired yeah. and you're hungry and just like yeah. miserable. Yeah. And the thing is how many people die out at sea? Tons of people have died yeah. out at sea. Like why would I be special to not, not die that? out at sea? Yeah. When everywhere you look, there is not a creature to behold except the sharks that are like, lunch die. Yeah. <laughs> this bitch looks tasty. Right? Mm, yeah. No. I mean... Yeah, no, I, I would be like, I'm so fucked right now. <laughs> I mean, I take it a mo- I give it a moment to be like, could you please like make it painless? <laughs> like that's what would occur to me. It wouldn't be yeah. like God's gonna help me. I'd be like, no, I'm fucked. This is it. Yeah, this also is again. This does not seem like a painless way to die. So like, no, yeah, this seems, seems like super uncomfortable like kind and of miserable. The worst. Yeah, super miserable. It's layer upon layer of of awfulness. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely not. On the morning of her fourth day at sea, despite the blinding sun, she remained in a deep sleep close to death. By mid-morning, though, she was able to pull herself from her stupor and open her eyes. She said a huge shadow loomed before her like a great beast. Its rumble was so deep that she could feel it in her chest. Mm. As she watched, it seemed to morph from an unworldly vessel floating above the sea into a great whale and then into just a solid black wall suspended in the air above her. When she looked up, she saw heads and waving arms on top of the wall, and she could hear voices shouting. Then she felt herself suspended in space, and eventually strong arms lifted her as she slid back into oblivion. Authorities were incredibly impressed with Terry Jo's story of survival and believed the 11-year-old girl's version of events. In direct opposition to what Harvey claimed, Terry Jo was adamant that not only was the mass of the bluebell intact, but there had been absolutely no fire aboard the vessel, and the sea had been completely calm that night. Mm. In support of Terry Joe's version of events, there was also the fact that no one at the lighthouse on the nearby island reported a fire at sea that night, mm. nor did Harvey try to make it over to that island after he found the body of who he thought was Terry Joe, but was actually a seven-year-old Renee. Finally, and perhaps most tellingly, Harvey admitted that at no point during his hours of drifting did he think to look for the flares that were in the dinghy's emergency kit. Red flag. Red flag. And like... You played yourself, homie. Right? And like, dude, you like love boats. Like, this is your fucking thing. It's not like you're a fucking newbie and you didn't know what yeah. was going on. Like, you fucking knew? You're the goddamn skipper. Seriously? You're sketch as fuck, motherfucker. Sketch as fuck. Mm-mm. Shortly after Terry Joe told authorities what had happened, she was informed that Harvey had been picked up alive three days before her, alongside her sister's body, who they originally thought was her. Yeah. And that the bodies of her parents, brother, and Harvey's wife had all been lost at sea. Oh my god. I know. This brings up like a primal thing in me that's just so not okay. I, I, oh my god. Yeah. Now, as it should, like, it's very... It's very upsetting. It's very, yeah. It's very visceral, too. Like, it's very real. Yes, yes, yes. On November 17th, midway through Harvey's interrogation by the U.S. Coast Guard in Miami, he was suddenly informed that Terry Joe had been rescued. He said, 
oh my God, before recovering and calmly adding, isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. He was then informed that an official investigation into the loss of the Bluebell and the fate of her passengers was going to be launched that day. Harvey asked to be excused from further interrogation, saying he was tired and wanted to speak with his wife's family. They granted his request, and he immediately drove a short distance away toward Biscayne Boulevard, where he checked into hey, the Sandman Hotel. Biscayne Boulevard! Yeah, you're the Miami, Sandman baby. Motel? Yeah. Yeah. Girl. Checked into the Sandman Motel under the name John Monroe. He paid in cash wrote a two-page suicide note, left $10 for the maid, then went into the bathroom and slashed his thigh, ankles, and jugular vein with a double-edged razor blade. I'm sorry. $10 is the only thing you could shell out for the woman who has to clean up your fucking murdering ass? Fuck you. That's the worst part of all of it. It's kind of dick. Although, here's the thing. I was like, at least you left her money. It is 1961, so $10 is probably it's like, like 70 bucks maybe. a little bit more than it was it's back in then. But not like, enough. Definitely not enough to walk in on your fucking awful suicide scene. Like One, she's traumatized forever. Forever. Two, I have to clean that fucking Fuck shit. No, I quit today if that's the case. Bye. Bye. Like Out of here. No, absolutely not. Like, we've seen the luminol test. There's no amount of bleach that's going to get that shit out. Absolutely not. And, and she's like, I'm getting paid $4 an hour. You think I'm going to fucking fuck with this shit right now? And he, no. oh, he left me a $10 tip. How fucking considerate for you. Dude, go Thanks. fuck yourself. Thanks. I appreciate it. This is a literal, I'm literally more enraged by this than he murdered an entire family, including his newly wed wife. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's. Little, uh, it's a little dick. It's a little bit of a dick move. Not you yeah. know exactly what kind of person a person is with how they treat service people. And him Facts. shelling out 10 bucks to be like, mm, I know this is going to be like kind of a lot, but like for your troubles, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and here's the thing. Like, as I read, like he cut his thighs and his jugular. It's with, just a bloodbath everywhere. Apparently, like, so much that, like, he cut so deeply in his thigh, he went to the bone, which, like, it's <gasps> fucking hard to do. You're, like, committed. Yes. And not only that, I read somewhere that, like, when they walked in, they genuinely thought they were looking at a murder that was supposed to look like a suicide. I'm going to rewrite this right now. Because of how gruesomely he fucking killed himself. I'm going to rewrite this right now and say, Terry showed up at that motel. <laughs> and then she was like... I know it was you. I love that, like, everyone's the secret murderer in my stories, according to you. This is amazing. This is the best. Vigilante justice. I love it. I fucking wish that was the case. And Terry was like, fuck you for what you you. did. Yeah. And then just murdered the fuck out of him. And it was like, here's the motive. Yeah. I don't. I'm 11. What are they going to expect me? Yeah. (laughs) Fools. Okay. I'm rewriting this story. I love it. Fuck this piece of shit. Hell yes. It's 10 fucking dollars. I know, right? Make a movie based on true story. Let's do this. We got it. (laughs) All our bases are covered. I love it. It's fine. The suicide note addressed to one of Harvey's close friends left no explanations or apologies for his actions, but simply ended with the words, quote, I got too tired and nervous. I couldn't stand it any longer. End quote. Fuck you. Right? Go fuck yourself so hard. Ugh. He requested that the recipient take care of his 14-year-old son, Lance, and that he be buried at sea. Just for that, we're not going to do that, you piece of shit. Right? I wish, but they actually did it. I know. Yeah. Because people aren't garbage like this sack of shit. Yeah. With Harvey's suicide and Terry Joe's testimony, an investigation was launched into Julian Harvey. The inquiry revealed that while he was a decorated World War II veteran and Korean War pilot, he had difficulty holding a job for any length of time and had serious financial problems. Mm. He had recently arranged a double indemnity insurance policy on the life of his wife, 
just two months after they had married. Two months. Okay, like, my mom's on my dick all the time that I'm, like, not married and whatever. Oh, this is even... not selling me. No. On that. No. What, you're getting married to some guy who can take a fucking life insurance policy out on you and but then you murder you? But you know what's you? fucked about? No. Fine. Take out the life insurance policy on the new wife. What the fuck does everyone else have to do with this? Yeah, it's They're just true. collateral damage yeah. because you wanted to get whatever the fuck the double indemnity uh, insurance policy was. Fuck you. And your insurance policy and your 10 fucking dollars. <laughs> fuck you. Oh my God. Flames on the side of my face. I literally can't handle how much I fucking hate this person. It's fucking so dick. Ugh. The conclusion of the inquiry was that Harvey had planned to kill his wife to collect on her $20,000 double indemnity insurance policy. Which is fucking nothing. Which is nothing. Again, even, 1961 even, still. No, I'm going to fucking pull Look this it up, up right tell now. Me how much I'm looking it up right now because I'm certain it is not worth no, murdering not. five fucking it's people. It's probably like, what, half a million, maybe just under? Less than that. It's 178000 Oh my God, that's nothing. For that? Yeah. To get a, a fucking life sentence minimum? Yeah. For $178,000? No, girl. No. Like, you yeah, know, this no. isn't like fucking like Elizabeth Taylor diamond money. No, God, no. This guy's just a dick. He thinks he's a fucking big money baller by dropping that $10 being like, I mean, you're set for life. <laughs> you're just, welcome. I literally can't handle how you're much I welcome. fucking hate this person. It's, I can't tell you the last time I hated someone this much. It's so funny because me, I was like, I mean, at least you left with the 10 bucks. Like, it was better than just like doing that and like not leaving any money. And you were so enraged over it. I'm and so I'm like, on your side, totally. But like. We're looking at what $10 is. Oh, it's definitely not enough for this. No. <laughs> For this woman to be in therapy for the rest of her life, which she's not even gonna be because that wasn't like not socially acceptable. $89. Fuck you. You're giving me less than a bencho to deal with the trauma of the rest of my life. Clean up your piece of shit ass. Right? Get the fuck out of here. Fuck you. Agreed. I literally don't remember the last time I was the same at someone. <laughs> It wasn't even over the murders. I feel like I've, I've like, exceeded my expectations on this one. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know the $10 was going to get her shit. I mean, it was it's true crime, so it's expected that it's not going to go great. No, no. But I can't with the $10. No, Because shit. he thinks he's, like, I'm a good guy. Yeah. I, like, know, I did the right thing. Like I, I did the right him. thing. I left Like, him. you know that it's that thing, like, as he's bleeding out, he's like, I'm, like, a decent dude, though. Yeah. I, like, like left the money for I, I redeemed myself. And if there is a an afterlife... And if we're going to go off the Judeo-Christian thing of, like, he's meeting St. Peter to go over the book of his life to decide where he goes, St. Peter's like, oh, go fuck you and your $10. <laughs> Seriously. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. The stairs are down that way if you want to, yeah. It's like, well, I, we do have the stairs, but we also have a express direct an express elevator just for you. There you go. The inquiry concludes that he's trying to get the insurance money from his wife. However, he was likely caught in the act of either killing or disposing of his wife's body by Dr. Duperalt, and Harvey then killed the doctor, his mm. wife, and two of his children to cover up the murder of his wife, eliminating any possible witnesses. Then he opened the sea valves on the boat so he could scuttle it, which means to intentionally shipwreck it, basically intentionally sink like it. A, right, the water comes in, right? Yes. Yeah. Harvey, it turned out, had been married six times. <gasps> And his surviving ex-wives agreed that he was a vain, difficult husband and a man whose love quickly cooled. Also, wasn't the only time there was a little bit of a sketchy situation with the deaths of one of his wives. Oh my fuck. Because in 1949, on a rainy night, Harvey was driving his second wife, Joanne, and her mother back from the movies when, as he described it, 
His car swerved on a bridge and rolled over the side into the bayou below. The car sank and Harvey alone survived. As bystanders dove into the water to look for Mrs. Harvey and her mother, the pilot calmly described, perhaps even boasted, about how he had been able to escape the car while it was in midair. The professional diver who was- I'm sorry, are you with Ringling Brothers? Right? What the fuck are you talking about? a stuntman? Like, son of the fuck down. Oh my god. And also, like, what, we're supposed to clap for you that you escaped the car and left your your wife wife? and her mother-in-law to die? Like, what? The mother-in-law was in the car too? Yeah, the wife and her mother, so his mother-in-law. Yeah, left them both to die. This is a trash monster of epic proportions. A trash monster. Like Oscar the Grouch, you're off the fucking hook. This guy has fucking usurped you. Yes. And being a trash monster. His a dumpster is his home. That is a yes. fact. The professional diver who went down to retrieve the bodies, however, found all four doors locked and the driver's window rolled down, suggesting a very different scenario. Namely Why better. Right? What the fuck? Namely, that Harvey had gone down into the water along with Joanne and her mother, then opened his window and escaped, leaving the two women to drown. I mean... (sighs) Yes! Not only did evidence at the scene point to this being the case, but it was apparent that Harvey had made no attempt to save his relatives. Nor did he seem particularly broken up about their deaths, as he basically immediately cashed in his wife's life insurance policy. My rage (laughs) knows no bounds and no words in this moment. Girl, yes, that is correct. It's infuriating. Apparently, the Bluebell also wasn't the first boat to sink under Harvey's watch. Get the fuck out of here. Oh my fucking God. Right? There were so many red flags. (sighs) So many. I understand that the internet is terrible for lots of super justifiable reasons, but thank you, Google. That we can look shit up on people and yes. be aware of this shit. And yes. be like, red flag. Yes. Actually, this dude is a fucking disaster, train wreck, and dangerous. And maybe he's not, and he's just the unluckiest dude imaginable. But you could be unlucky somewhere else and not around me, motherfucker. Right? Mm-mm. Seriously. Mm-mm. Agreed. Twice before, Harvey had filed insurance claims for destroyed boats. Both cases, while suspicious, were decided in his favor. <sighs> I know. Later, friends would admit that in the first wreck, Harvey had probably steered the boat into an obstacle on purpose, and in the second, he had flat out admitted to setting the vessel on fire. Yes. I mean, I cannot. Terry Jo eventually returned to Green Bay to live with her father's sister and three cousins. However, she never really had a chance to speak about the trauma she experienced, mainly because of the misguided belief, which was very common in certain repressive Midwestern mindsets, that the best way to deal with disturbing emotions is to just completely ignore them. So her guardians never talked to her about her experience, while friends, family members, neighbors, and teachers were all instructed to avoid the subject completely. Mm. For Terry Jo, who eventually changed the spelling of her first name to T-E-R-E, Terry, this forced silence resulted in years of emotional stress. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Because, yeah, literally you went through the most traumatizing experience of your life I'm surprised he didn't give her fucking Hamilton either and be like, you'll be fine. Yeah, good. (laughs) Like this piece of shit. 
And what's one of the things, like, she was known all over the fucking world at this point. Yeah, as, everyone like, knows the, who she is. Yeah, the sea wave. And then she's just like, she's not supposed to talk about it because it's, like, too dramatic. So we're like, don't bring it up with her ever. Like, don't talk about it with her. But it's that thing, you know, she walks into a room and it's like, oh, hi, hi hey, Terry. Hi. Yeah. For the rest of her fucking life? Yes. Come on, man. That's That fucking sucks. Yeah. As if it's not bad enough, you went through this. You lost your entire family. Yeah. Everything you went through. And then on top of that, you know that everyone knows who you are and they're talking about you and what happened to you. In every room you walk into. Yeah. Guys. I can't imagine how traumatizing that would be. And also, she's going into her teenage years. Yeah. Because being a teenager isn't bad enough. Right. Like, literally, this is, like, right before puberty. So, yeah, so brutal. This, like, wee babe. I know. However, thanks to her amazing inner strength, she ultimately achieved a stable and fulfilling life. Get it. Nearly 50 years later, in 2010, Terry finally revealed the details of the night her family was killed and her days spent drifting in open water in her memoir, Alone, Orphaned on the Ocean, which was co-authored by psychologist Richard Logan. It's the first time she's ever been able to fully tell her story. In September 1988, Oprah Winfrey had reunited her with the freighter captain who saved her, but even then she was not healed enough to reveal what it took to survive for four days alone at sea. Okay. After the devastating loss of her entire family. And like, can you imagine that Oprah clip? Oh because my god. Oprah like loves a tearjerk. Oh yeah. You know it, it was, was fucking ball fest, yeah. Just like sobbing city. city. Jinx. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my Ball fest God. sounded dirty. I realized once it came out of my mouth, it's I was B-A-W-L, like, B-A-W-L, fucking pervert. God damn it. Get your mind out the gutter. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I can't. And you know, Oprah's like, this was such a good get. Oh yeah, yeah right? She's like, Ratings. I got the sea wave. <laughs> that was a fantastic <laughs> Oprah. I loved that so much. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Me neither, man. Just I feel like she's here. That's great. Oh my God. Terry has never given a televised interview reliving the tragic event, but in 2010, she spoke with Matt Lauer about the incident, saying that she believes Harvey didn't kill her because he just thought she would go down with the ship. Yeah. She also believes that Harvey had intended to discreetly murder his wife, dispose of her body, and then claim she was lost at sea, but that his wife likely fought back, which attracted the attention of her family. Mm. Moreover, Harold Pegg, owner of the Bluebell, testified that he had noticed deep scratches on Harvey's right hand and arm when he got back to Miami. (gasps) Harvey claimed they were quote-unquote wire cuts from the rigging, but Peg said he knew fingernail scratches when he saw them. Also, why do you know that? It's a freak in the sheets, girl. (laughs) Hey, girl. He's been scratched up in his day. I mean. I know. I thought the same thing, and I was like, get get it. Get it. Get it, Peg. You got it. I'm here for it. All right. Terry told CBS News, quote, I always believed I was saved for a reason. If one person heals from a life tragedy, after reading her story, my journey will have been worth it, end quote. She said that after her ordeal, quote, I was forever drawn to water after this tragedy, not repelled like some would expect. When I applied with the Department of Natural Resources, it was for a position with fisheries. I started working on the water and loved it. I moved on to work in water resources and water regulation and zoning. I went on to protect the water that had protected me as a little girl, end quote. I just want to sob for four hours. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and it's so brave and so strong. And I just like admire her so much. I can't even imagine. Terry, we are not the same person. No, you're a better person. That is for fucking sure. 
So the lasting legacy of Terry Joe's survival is something I didn't know. And I actually was like kind of ridiculously excited to read and find out because apparently Terry Joe's childhood ordeal led to a change in Coast Guard regulations internationally. Because her life raft was white and blended into the whitecaps, it prevented search and rescue planes from locating her. So, in 1962, the year after her rescue, they officially changed boating regulations. And that's why we use bright orange life rafts internationally to this day. Because we almost lost Terry Joe at sea because of a fucking white life raft. Yeah, because if you recall Titanic, it's all white. It's all white. Like, sometimes I feel like they have, like, maybe, like, the red band on the outside occasionally. But yeah, they're all white. And apparently we didn't realize, like, how much of a fucking nightmare that was until this incident with Terry Joe. When, like, this dude could have easily been like, ah, it's a a white cap, whatever. And if they hadn't found her, like, he wouldn't have gone to jail. They would have just believed his story. Like, that would have been the end of it, I'm sure. But, like, because of Terry Joe and, like, her amazing story of survival, we literally have orange life wraps, which I'm sure save way more people than the fucking white ones ever did. Yeah. So. Holy shit. Yeah. That was in-fucking-credible. Good. It was, like, it, there was technically five murders in it, but, like, it was it was pretty upbeat, I feel like, I as mean, far as all things considered. Yeah. I can't handle my life. That was incredible. <sighs> I know. I'm, like, blown away by her, really. This was a roller coaster of all of the things. Good. I, I'm glad. I figured it was going to be some sort of shipwreck situation. Oh, yeah. Which, With like, the final voyage of the Bluebell. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, With a title like that. Amazing. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean... I know you were semi-familiar with this, so I'm glad you stuck with me. Very... Like, cursory, sort of? Yes. Okay. Like, I guess I've heard the story, but there were so many things that, like, I didn't know about this. Okay. Good. Um, That was amazing. Good. I only read a couple of excerpts from the book for this, but it was really good, and I'm going to highly recommend it on just, like, the little bits and pieces that I read of it, so... What's it called? It's called Alone, Orphaned on the Ocean, and it's by Terry Jo Dubralt, and it's co-authored by Richard Logan. Thank you so much for that. Oh my god, you're welcome. Thank you for our creepy twin telepathy. I loved it. Yeah. I think it was a... A more upbeat one than, than last week. <laughs> the last one. We gotta, you gotta balance it out. You can't have too many, yeah. too many uh, brutal weeks in a row. Yeah, you know, and, and... They get a little hard on the listen back, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, fuck, that's what we talked about. Yeah. Damn. Especially, like, it's your story that's really brutal. Like, I did all the brutal research for this. Yeah. Then I told it live to... And then I had to yes, listen back to it. Yes, and then I had to listen back edits. to it. Yeah, and then you're like, yeah. oof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really uh, beat it into you there with that one. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely was like, maybe I will watch Compliance. And then I was like, no, no, no. why would I do that Don't to do myself? Don't do that to yourself. No. no. That was amazing. Thank uh, you. So was yours. I'm really intrigued. You. I'm going to uh, quiz all the twins in my life that I know now. Yes. <laughs> but also, just be aware that they might be like, I mean, no, nothing. And then say a thing where you're like, but that's exactly what that is. <laughs> that's true. That was a lot of people saying, yeah. You're like, uh, so the exact thing that I asked you about that you said no to, the thing, yeah. You're like, Thanks. That example? Cool. Yeah. My friend was like, no, I wish that would happen to me. And then went on to say two examples of how it regularly happens to him. Ridiculous. Insane. <laughs> Plus your heart. Yeah. <laughs> Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Uh, um, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, of course. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're obsessed with you. Mariah Carrier, no. Oh my god. <laughs> so, oh, oh. 
Oh. Um, we are obsessed with you, though. So good. Thank you so much for listening. If you don't follow us on Instagram already, you definitely should. We're at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. And every sixth episode is a True Listener Tales episode. So send us an email at anotherfuckinghorrorpodcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. And we are not bullshitting. If you have telepathy stories, twin telepathy stories, weird stories, or or you just want to say hi, fucking shoot us a Gmail, baby. We love all of those. We're obsessed. All of those things are amazing. Yeah. We're obsessed with you. And most importantly, (laughs) keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.